1933. My daddy owns the globe. The whole of America is abuzz with talk of expeditions to the Antarctic. Look at this, Jim. The Adelaide Penguin. So delicate, so fragile, so unique. Hand me the evil jar. Starkweather and Moore lead a group of scientists, engineers and journalists to investigate the ill-fated Miskatonic expedition and try to understand the massive mountains found on the ice. Are these instruments right? RPGMP3.com presents an iconic adventure from Chaosium based on the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. Are you Journey Beyond the Mountains of Madness. Click beep. I hate that bitch. Oh baby! Yeah, that's the traditional bard roll, but I did have stats and other stuff. Well, that was the test. David, stop us that um, pencil off the desk, will you, dude? If you didn't know, scuffling means. Um... <laughs> yeah, he figured it out. <laughs> Chuck, to throw gently. Uh, let's see, cock BTMOM. Oh, I'm so lost. I'm using the wrong one. Cock, cock, cock bottom. It looks like. I'm sorry. <laughs> BTL, yeah. B-T-M-O-M, cock bottom, session eight. I did a little flag for when we got to Australia. Oh, very good. It says, yeah, that's you're doing that. October 12th. That looks more like a windsock. What's up? Flag. Just saying. Scratch. You have a flag. Oh, baby. Are you tormenting people with your general happy panting? I think we're done now, Ruby, aren't we? What was yeah. the panting? She's in a naughty. What I was telling Hal, the next thing I see, Ruby's there. Hal moves pretty good for a guy sitting down. <laughs> She's naughty. She is indeed naughty and the baddest of the puppies. What's the date today? It's 36. I know, because next Monday my income tax check's supposed to be here. Woohoo! Yeah. I, I know, because uh, the teacher wrote it on the board today. Oh, I'm supposed to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going on holiday tonight. I finally got two interviews from one company, and I'm going to be working at a sporting... Or a... Uh, or did y'all finally... It's a sporting goods store. No, hunting supply, high end. Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg? What's at Fredericksburg? I don't uh, know. The Fredericksburg has the Chester Nimitz uh, War Memorial, which they actually have pieces of a submarine. Uh, they have a cannon in the middle of the street. It's a very nice one. Uh, they have a very nice Oktoberfest. The Buen Yeah. Uh, I saw ape on mine. I know it was mine. If you're in Fredericksburg, <laughs> you're going to go by Hunt. Pro skirt. That's her. Go by Hunt, Texas, because that's where you can go see the uh, Stonehenge on a one-to-one scale. Somebody has it in their front yard. <laughs> Not sure why. I don't think anybody knows why. The guy was just bored one day and built it. A bald and built Stonehenge. There's some old retiree guy. He goes, you know what this yard needs? An ancient English monolith. Why not? It's not a monolith. It's got more than one. Yeah, well, maybe he just couldn't stop at one. I think it used to be a house while the straw blew away on top. It's a calendar. Yeah. <laughs> People were just like, it's hey. It's a ritual circle. It's actually, it's actually three different circles. They built it at different times. That's... I have my druid's book. I can get it out yeah. for you if you want. It's in there. I have the paper I wrote on Stonehenge, somewhere. You do? Yeah. <laughs> the Ro- well, the Romans. It's the tales of the Celtic Otherworld. If you yeah, because the, Roman, the Romans built the third circle because they used slave labor to, to pacify the countryside because they were too busy. They were too tired no, that's building. Hadrian's Wall. Might be in this well, one. No, the, according, yeah, according, I to the, in that. according to the according to the according to the History Channel, the Romans used slave labor <laughs> to complete the uh, the third circle of Stonehenge. Because <laughs> the History Channel. <laughs> 
Well, they're usually accurate. I would have to check up on, um, on yeah. the Roman influence. Of course you would have that book. Yeah. It's, only the, it's only the third circle. Ruby, what you doing? Because they found it, it was incomplete. They had people rioting or whatever because they just didn't like the fact that they were conquered. Upper, there was up at, Hadrian's Wall was definitely busy work. Yeah. It was bi- yeah, it was. Yeah. Shut up and do your job. Well, they did well, a lot of... We're keeping the picks out. Yeah. Yeah, right you are. Well, that's, that's the roads, the wall, just about everything that the Romans built. I never saw Hadrian's Wall, and I only lived like three yeah. I have. I've walked along it. It's really boring. Yeah, from what I understand, it's about waist high or something. It's it's a wall. It's very small. In, in some certain places, places, it's, 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 in certain places like, you can't yeah. see it anymore. Yeah. In some places, it's still really, like, Yeah. Well, some of the places they took it apart to uh, build stuff they could use. Yes. Which happens quite a lot in England. Yeah. Happens a lot in Houston too. If we don't like a building, we'll tear it down and start over again. Hal is retrieving dog food for anybody that was. No, nope, he was just farting. <laughs> yeah. Farting. That's what the. <laughs> was. <laughs> you hungry, dog? Oh, that was a long one there. That's a bull. Uh, I do not know. Do they just. Did they ever, did they ever decide they're going to tear down the Alabama Theater? It's a uh, used to be where they used to, of course where I used to get thrown out of the Rocky Horror all the time, yeah. and then they converted it into a bookstore. And it's this it's this shop that has history. Unfortunately, none of the original shops that gave it the history are still there. So these people are going. Well, we're just going to tear it down and build something we can use with it. The owners want to tear it down. Deflect air. And, and these people are going. No, you can't tear it down. It's historical. There's a place like that in Bradford with um, the big uh, Odeon Museum. It's like a 1920s Odeon. You have to have that thing pointing at you when you want to talk. And everyone's been fighting to keep it. Because they want to knock it down. Well, they want to knock it down. The Odeon. Oh, in Bradford. Mm -hmm. They're going to knock it down because they're condemned now, I think. Yeah, they waited until it got bad enough we looked after that it... It was going to be a nightclub originally, and then whoever was supposed to be buying it didn't buy it. Are you ready, dog? Oh, hold on. She only eats thrown food. Are you ready? At the minute. Watch now. That's <gasps> back. That's back. Quick, quick. There you go. She only eats food that's been Our thrown. Our dog has an eating disorder for anybody that's a bit bizarre. She has to be involved in the eating process. <laughs> she, has to, she has to hunt down her She prey. doesn't eat on her own at all. And where you would think, if well, if I leave her, she'll just eat it on her own. She, she doesn't. doesn't. She just starves. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is a bit of an issue. After this, can we play Monty Cook's World of Darkness? You're banned from the bookcase. Yeah. We're getting doors from the bookcases. Yeah. We're getting doors on the bookcases. Maybe we can get doors for those, I don't care. With a key. No, we can't. They're the Lex big ones, aren't they? Don't worry, I break out in a rash every time I touch a Monty Cook product. You can get a door for the bottom half, I'm sure. We were on Bane Warrens and it was. My arm's getting tired of not doing that. Difficult. <laughs> Overpowered in certain places. <laughs> Just telling them we had a DM guy who cast a spell from one of the books in the GM. dog, please. While I try and get my question do it. DM looked at the guy casting the spell and he goes, What's that doing? He goes, Oh, it does 1d6 per level of damage, no saving throw. It's a second level spell. Yeah. Where'd you get that? Let me see. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He goes, From this book. And he goes, Like, you know, one of the. the it's not cool, you're not having it. The Arcana Unearthed uh, oh. supplement or something, and he's like looking through there. He's like, he's like, looks at the game. Let me see your character. He starts looking at it. Starts looking through the book, reading what the feats and the spells do. Takes it an eraser, erases the spells and the feats from the book, and hands his character sheet back. <laughs> Make another one. No, just here. You can as your character. It's been redacted. <laughs> you lost these feats. You lost these spells. You don't get new ones. <laughs> you don't like it? Shut up. Yeah. 
I mean, some of that stuff was probably not. He had a yeah. fourth level spell dino save. <laughs> it's like Finger of Death plus one. Because the original Finger of Death wasn't that great. But it only worked on living creatures. I've got my shit together. I have the adventure. Uh, an iced tea plus iced tea and a drum. I have a puppy. a bottle of iced tea today and it exploded. It didn't. It just cracked all the way down one side. <laughs> so we found a jug and poured it in. Unfortunately, the jug says Hogan's Hero Alcoholic. From, the, from, from my pirate party. Yeah. Hogan's Heroes? It's a cocktail. Oh, you missed, you missed our cocktails. Party. We do cocktails well. If we get a chance and we can get rid of it. It's my birthday soon. It's Lindsay's birthday. We're going to have a pool party. No. It's, April. it's April. <laughs> April. We'll have to think of something else to do with Lindsay. Unfortunately, um, what we can do is... We should have a bowling party. You. you know, if it's April around here, it's going to be about 90 degrees, right? Well, it was cold last time. It was, it was pretty chilly in April last time. Oh, okay. But, um, we, we Must need, have been early summer. It was when it was really windy. We need to do a proper New Year's party. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We do good New Year's parties. We do. I love New Year. I bet there's quite a few people in your web forum that can remember being... Well, we've got St. Patrick's Day. Oh, we've got St. Patrick's Day coming up in two weeks. We ain't here. Yeah, we're away. We're on a holiday. Yeah. So you we guys were, suck. We were going to go to Seattle to see Thing, but unfortunately, due to the fact that the airlines realised it was spring break and cranked their prices up by about 3,000%, mm. we decided to drive somewhere. We had, we had a really good deal, and then With we With the gas back prices, you're not saving much. Yeah. We're cheaper than the airline prices. Yeah. Hey? We're only going to yeah, we're only driving to Fredericksburg. It's only like five hours. Yeah. We almost went to Seattle. Just outside of Austin. <laughs> and then we changed to the side of Austin. Yeah. I think Lindsay's fancying San Marcos Outlet Mall as well. So if you go, if you go to San Marcos, you got to go to Natural Bridge Caverns. It's it's in San Marcos. Okay. It's Natural Bridge Caverns. It is the biggest cave complex in Texas. Has huge cave complexes out near that side. Yeah. Well, we're looking uh, at. Um, the that has lots of bats near over there. That's Austin. Yeah. Austin, the Fifth Street Bridge. Just they have like a million bats. Apparently, there's some kind of tunnel out in the ass end of nowhere that's like bat See, tunnel. Yeah, I can do or caves and caverns yeah. as long as they're not claustrophobic. No, na- not natural bridge. Not, not natural bridge. Because it's huge. I can go into large underground spaces. That doesn't bother me. Going tiny little tunnels. Having a crawl. Yeah, natural bridge is your best case because it's also the best maintained. <laughs> Sounds good. Because I've been I've been spelunking and they've taken me to caves <laughs> that are just. Wow. What? <laughs> what was that? That wasn't a, like, laugh, the whole idea of... What are you going to do when the albino and the Andertals catch you and eat you? Oh, my God. Shoot them. This is Texas. Got my carbine. Got my ascender. Got my 44. That'll take care of any of those little little descent monsters we run into. Descent monsters. I can barely watch that film because the whole idea of going into, like, the tiny little spaces... Oh, and one where the people went down there and they'll start attacking. I mean, we just... We start to go down there just to make sure we put a couple of rounds down there and it scatters all the little mole monsters away. <laughs> the mole monsters shine a light. <laughs> because they've been in the dark for like years. I mean, I think a light in their face might just blind them. What's the other one? What's the one with Piper Parabo in it? That's a very similar concept. They go down. Uh, the cave or something? The cave. Like a giant bat? Yeah, the bat thing. I thought that was the demons. <laughs> there's so many, isn't there? Yeah. There's, yeah, there's the cave, there's the descent. There's it has like a guy just jumping like that and yeah. a bat coming at him and yeah. then it cuts out. I'm like, I want to see yeah, it. There was part. one that like the demons started possessing the spelunkers and attacking each other and it was almost straight to video. Straight to video. They went Oh my god, I couldn't go to school. What the fuck, Chris? Oh my god, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few too many. We go, let's go down in the dark. You know, natural. Well, 
The dark doesn't bother me. It's just really like. Natural Bridge Caverns is huge, and that's one of the reasons why it's so popular because it has just distinctive rock formations. They've got like this one that's supposed to look like I a giant. I have to be able to see the way out, or else yes. I don't go in. Oh, oh, <laughs> I don't go all the way, way up. See the way out. Yeah, you look all the way up, and, and, and maybe there's light. No, no, it's it's really well lit. No, there's just until they be, turn the lights uh, off. Dolls going to be climbing on the walls, going. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, it, honestly, it's being tracked in a. You're, you're just gonna hear this little clattering on the wall, and you're just gonna feel something behind you. You turn around, nothing's there. Just take Samwise Gamgee with you. He'll take care of Gollum. Yeah. Right. Gee, Miss Lindsay, I sure took care of him with me pipe wrench. Give <laughs> <laughs> the ring. Get away from her, you wank! <laughs> That's it. You're all done. <laughs> there you go. That would be me, then I assume. <laughs> Give it a little, get the little pot, you know. Yeah, if we let Sam take the ring, the movie would have been a lot better because Sam's like. Well, he does technically in the book. I know at the very end. Too stupid to be affected by. Well, no, no, he's too simple. He likes his simple life. What the ring does is it goes, okay, you want all the fucking women and the halls and the lap dancers? I'll give you it, and you go, oh, brilliant, and it goes, yeah, I've got you now, Sonny. But Sam's like, I want to go home and grow potatoes and scratch me ass, and the ring's like, how about some naked ladies? And he's like. Oh no, embarrassed. Oh no! <laughs> How about some money? Oh no! I got plenty, thanks. The garden's only this big. I can't buy any more seed. It's like fuck's sake. Well, that's what it's all about. He's too simple. So technically, in the actual book, if you read it, Frodo's not the hero. Sam is mm-hmm. because Frodo wants things, and eventually it undoes him, and he becomes like this frail, yeah, nasty you, you give it to you. Give the ring to you know to Sam. Sam does the whole thing. Yeah. Granted, if uh, you would have. If you dump Boromir and take Faramir, it's a lot better, too. <laughs> dump Boromir and take Faramir. Boromir's really good at fighting. He would have been great at, the, at uh, you know, the Pelennor fields. Faramir knew that, you know, he just it's wanted to be happy. He wanted his dad to love him. I want my daddy! <laughs> He's a little bit more stable. Daddy, love yes. me! We'll not talk about Lord of the Rings, because in my opinion, the hairy gorilla missed the point entirely. So we'll not go into that to discuss every fine point throughout all the movies because that's just going to be boring and take many hours. Okay. Even though you, we'd have to agree with me because I'm right. So. <clears throat> I think when I edited the <laughs> part out, I was the worst. What do you mean, ha? Hey, oh, did man. I say that out loud? <laughs> yes, quite loud. I have to say, it's a very good movie if you've not yeah. read the books and you don't care. Well, if they the did it, it would have been 72 hours. If they did it, if they did it faithfully, it would have taken 72 hours. Okay. You would have been in the theaters. The really yeah, they, I don't ever understood why they added things. Mm. Um, I, I, I Arwen just like the, the entirety of the books sits in Rivendell and sews war banners for the elves. That's her entire lot in life through the books. Because they wanted chicks to like the movie well, too, yeah. not just well, I mean, for, you know, Don't, don't massive you already have muscles. one of the strongest characters, female characters in Eowyn, but she's not in it until the second movie, mm-hmm. therefore we've got to throw somebody... Well, I mean, admittedly, Liv Tyler's in, hot. admittedly what, yeah. in the animated series, yeah. in the animated film, they did dump out who's supposed to appear at the Ford to help Glorfindel. Yeah, because Glorfindel turns up and goes, Hi, I'm so old and powerful, I glow. You've got coming round me, and they go... Fucking hell, he's hard, and they have to go around him. Yeah. When it gets Frodo to the Ford. Whereas in the animated one, Legolas goes, He is a horse, run like hell. But in this one, Arwen turns up, and most importantly, 
At the ford, in the book, and in the animated one, Frodo faces down Nazgul and says, you will not take this ring and I'm not coming with you. Whereas in the movie where the hairy gorilla, he was unconscious and Arwen takes them on, which totally devalues Frodo's character for the entirety of the trilogy. Ta-da! Anyway, on the ring. You should have had Sam take it. Except from the start. Because he would have been... And and Gaffer. Mm -hmm. And... Tom Bombadil should have had it. That's what they should have done. In the book, they should have given it to Tom Bombadil and gone, here you go. I always said that. Well, it's true. If you actually look at the sort of book and things, technically he's harder than Sauron in the old wood. Well, Jackson said he had, for purposes, he had to cut out Tom Bombadil. Nobody likes Tom Bombadil. No, he took out everybody that only appeared for, you know, for what, like, for, would have been like two, three minutes. Well, Tom Bombadil, though, with him for quite a while. Hogan's hero! Alcoholic. (laughs) <laughs> it's not. It's iced tea. Of course it isn't. Um, yeah, I wish I was. Did you know there's two right people that survived the Holocaust in Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> two of the characters in Hogan's Heroes, they're in real life. They were in the hall. They were in death Michael, camps. While you're doing redesign your house, Ruby's the redesign your and Sergeant Schultz were in death camps. What are you woofing at? Random woofer. Right. Mm. How long have we been prattling? A while. Only 16 minutes. Right, let's get actually to the adventure. Okay. Who remembers and can give me a rundown of what I read last adventure? Oh, we, uh, lots we got and lots to the of ice. Breaking stuff. We got to the ice, we found a whaler ship that was broken in half I'm with dead sure things in it. We found the cap and we found a whole bunch of people dead, blood smears everywhere, body parts everywhere. We found some stuff, we found the ship log. Got trapped in the ice, blew it up, sank yeah, the other we ship. Yeah, blow up the ice. And, um, and now we're floating free. You are? Yeah. And, and we you're hit just, a hard you're mist. You're just about to land. Yeah. You're actually about to land. Every time we thought we saw land, it would go over. You've now seen land. It's yeah. November the 14th. Dang, it's past my birthday. And you're about to see land for I think it's a good idea to go to the days Antarctic in, in the winter. <laughs> I think we should have been here, I don't know, <laughs> hmm? in the summer. Well, actually, no, it's yeah. summertime. Seven more days. Oh, Otherwise, okay. you can't get in. Because yeah. the ice floors are all solid. Well, we can just walk. And then they crack and then you drown. Ah. So a week from today we have to, we have to, use, our, we have to use our... Oh, have you written a birthday? No, now. I'm a jumper. Yeah. I'll just go twenty first. <coughs> That's so cool. And teleport out. <laughs> that has a birthday. Into <laughs> a library. Birthday. That was still a <laughs> I'll write it down. Uh, no. I like I'll write it. write it down. It's my okay. birthday today. I like the concept. <laughs> right. That was How old are you? I liked it was when they did it like 20 years ago. They called it a people. Times. <laughs> I watched that show Times religiously three. until it like, got weird. Are we ready? Yes. Right. It is the afternoon of Tuesday, November the 14th, and the Gabrielle draws cautiously into the icy waters of McMurdo Sound. Uh, Mount Erebus looms overhead, smoking constantly. It's a bad habit. I know. should stop. The region of the Ross Sea between the island and the mainland is still solid with thick ice, which stands six to eight feet above the surface of the water. The barrier, easily visible even here, rises upward like a wall, several miles distant across the broken ground. Stark weather is alerted. We have arrived, he declares. That's it, and he's pumped back. (laughs) Captain, anchor the ship. We shall begin our assault from here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Antarctic. Yay! If anybody needs me, I'm going to be looking at the radio room. I think we'll lower Fernandes on. The ship is secured to the ice with long mooring lines over the next hour. The hatch covering on the cargo holds are removed. The arduous work of unloading begins. First planks, and later the great ramp, serve as gangways onto the Antarctic ice, 
both dogs and men. Now I'm assuming the dogs have been replaced, or you're only down a handful. We, I'm sure it? I heard you say yeah. the dogs got replaced. Maybe that well, just well, we had the discussion on the over we had the discussion on the, the It's session. not in the. I have looked and I can't I'm find pre- it in I'm the adventure. Yes, but we wouldn't have been the ones to go get the dogs anyway. No, you wouldn't. We wouldn't have been our Eskimo dog rider. Yeah, you'd have had like. Svetlana or whoever the hell it is go and get them it's not it's that puppy Jürgen and some other guy see we have no. a representation of the dog so we must have dogs yeah you a husky I am tonight very good you've got a character sheet we'll have to do you one <laughs> so there, is there any animal life present no just just the dogs not a penguin I put my rifle down <laughs> <laughs> I want a penguin what about polar bears are any polar bears Mm-mm. okay right Oh, oh. Yes. No Canadians. A boot. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, we missed the Antarctic! <laughs> the next two days are non-stop activity as your cargo is put ashore onto the ice below the barrier. Once the Gabriel is unloaded, all of the cargo will be brought up and over the barrier by dog sled and caterpillar tractor. The enormously thick ice barrier is very stable, even a few hundred yards inland, but the sea ice on which the Gabriel can unload is only a few yards thick, all weakened day by day, and soon may split apart at any time. Speed is essential also in moving the Gabriel away from the ice barrier which now and then calves off icebergs, making abrupt and dangerous waves. Did you get the idea? So the barrier, up. you're stuck in the ice below it. Mm-hmm. Can't get any closer, so you have to take your shit up the barrier by hand. Essentially. How do people get up the barrier? It's vertical. Tractors and dog sleds. It's not vertical. You can go around and up a bit. It's curved. It's, it's like a, it's the edge of an ice cliff, essentially, but it's coming down to the it's ice like a slope. slope. It's sloped. Carry me. Carry me. What's your appearance? <laughs> Eighteen. I'll take sexy up. How many thirteen? I'll take sexy up. <laughs> I'm just moderately alright, apparently. Many of the Gabriel's crew lend a hand, labouring alongside you lot. Boxes and barrels stream down the big collapsible ramp brought up from hold three. Scientists and sailors work six-hour shifts, one on and one off, around the clock beneath a sun that never sets. A ship's cargo hoist never stops moving until all the expedition's gear is on land. On the bright side, we haven't got to worry about vampires. No, no vampires here. I need to say th- 30 days of night now. It's, it's not bad. They didn't have it in the video shop, so we had to settle for Beowulf. It's in the dollar theater. Beowulf is pretty good. No, it's not. It's extremely average. I liked it. I didn't mind Beowulf, but it was alright. How much full frontal nudity can you have for a PG-13 rating? It's no full front of nudity. It's, it's the only way. <laughs> only way you're going to get Angelina's cunt on display. Sorry. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's another explicit rain for this podcast. <laughs> Yet again, you didn't do the sound check. Nipples. <laughs> Why can't I think of anything else? To I don't know. I think that's the rudest word you've got, isn't it? <laughs> Hyperpolysyllabic sesquipedalianism. Okay, I've heard you guys Why talk. You have ruder words. <gasps> David thinks we're rude. I think we're no, I said rude. you have ruder words. Wanker. Yeah. Mosfik and Wunderbar? Wanker. 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 Right. 
Um, the dogs and their sleds are among the first items to be transferred. As soon as possible thereafter, they're divided into four teams and put to work. Two of these, led by Pulaski and Fiskarsen, set out across the ice in search of an easy route to the top of the barrier. Hey, look, there's the pier right there. <laughs> the others are used to drag cargo loads away from the shore on onto safer ground. The expedition's landing plane, put together by Starkweather and Moe with the help of Sykes and Sorensen, and the Sorensen brothers during the long trip south, is summarised hereafter. What? <laughs> landing plan, my apologies. Oh. <laughs> I can't read. I can't read. I wonder angry. why they were assembling the airplane. <laughs> yeah, it's just the plane for landing. You can't take off in it. Right. This is the plan. This is how it happens. Offload the dogs and prepared sleds first. Two expedition parties, exploration parties, must depart at once, while the other sled teams can be used to move cargo. First order of business is to locate a useful campsite close at hand where a runway can be constructed. Offload and assemble the tractors as soon as possible. <coughs> These are to be used to move heavy equipment and also to prepare the runway near the camp. The aircraft are to be moved to the campsite as soon as the tractors are ready. Aircraft assembly follows at once. You're doing that, Ned. The remaining cargo can be moved piecemeal, with the camp equipment going first, followed by the food, research tools, such as the Pobodi apparatus, and finally the bulk of the aircraft. Pobodi? It's the ice drill. That's a portable ice drill that could be towed along on a dog sled, rather okay. than being lifted in by several helicopters. Okay. It's what Jim was going to use. Jim was a mining engineer and could use the Pobodi drill. What would my character be asked to do in this situation? Help unload the, Stay out of the load way. at this point. Oh. Now they'll ask you to help unload. Really? Mm. I'm a woman. Yes. I the ice is breaking up. How long do you want to stay here is well, your general response. I could do response. something better than that, surely. Like what? You well, could go with the first if team. If somebody in there. You could go with the exploration team. ticking off things Come make on me a some coffee. On a... Yeah, you can make us all coffee. Well, no. If <laughs> okay, tea. <laughs> if there is somebody ticking a, like a checklist and they're all muscly and then they make me go out and lift things that's a bit silly each character we could use will be assigned to one of the following sorts of groups as appropriate to his or her skill ready? Oh, oh, yeah, it says here also keepers, mm. that's me can either play through this section of offloading and unloading or provide an overview to the players' background. Would you like to play through the offloading? Or Let's skip like... the cutscene. Okay. <laughs> it's, it, there's a montage. We yeah. pushed A. Yeah. <laughs> you press A. Montage. <laughs> right. Hope it's not. Uh... You'll either be doing cargo work gangs, no special skill required, help move pallets off the ship, off operate ships, cranes, etc. Three ten person teams. Tractor crew. Anyone with operate heavy machinery or mechanical repair. Got it at one. <laughs> Assemble and test the tractors, haul cargo pallets from the shore to the temporary campsite, smooth and prepare the runways. Lopez, Cole, and two to four others do this. Aircraft crew, that's you, Batman. Uh, assemble and test the aircraft and fly them later. Halperin, DeWitt, Longfellow, Hudson, Miles, and Tracy. Camp preparation crew, no special skill required, electrical repair or mechanical repair helpful. Dig basements and cut snow blocks with ice axes, assemble and tie down temporary shelters, string power lines and lay out the radio aerials, 
Packard, Cruz, and two to four others. I think me and Eight Man, Eight Man, will be doing that because I took radio ops. All right, and I can and dig. Survival. <laughs> You're actually getting pretty good at it. <laughs> you were learning yeah. pretty well, weren't you? I know how to dig them trenches. <laughs> You'll be assigned to the camp prep team then. Sled dogs uh, require the drive dog sled skill. Sled hauling and exploration. Which are... I have. Way. There are four dog teams with one Skill man mode. per team. Pulaski, Fiskarsen, Snabjorn and one other. I might do that then. You're going to take a dog team out. Well, I've got to drive dog she's, got, she's the one with the What is your skill? Six. <laughs> Six percent in dog sled. How Let the professionals do it. Everybody else? Oh, I got uh, about 20, maybe the prob- 30. The, the problem, in all seriousness, in what you're going to have now, is yeah. the fact that I can't, as a female, do a lot of the things. So we're either but you can do things to... But like, you can do things allow- like running wires and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's why I said that one. Yeah, first. that's probably what you want to be doing. You're running the cabling for the... I'll take a picture of someone without the heavy machinery to go out the tractor. Pull this lever, right? Boom. Actually, if she's a if she's a reporter, she'd mm-hmm. probably be taking pictures. Of the yeah, whole thing. you could be photographing and stuff. You got your camera, haven't you? Well, I have a camera person. Yeah, you, yeah. no, you've got the camera. I do. I do have my yeah. own camera. Let's go, Diana. She just has to remember to take the lens off. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of black cap. picture. Ned, <laughs> take the lens off. You can't really do anything with the camera. <laughs> you can. You can take blurry pictures. <laughs> you can't take Dang, Batman. Anything. I you would have known that. Everybody's like, some that's why he's got pictures of me, because that's what I tell you. Okay, me. I'll go out and help lay wires. <laughs> and then <laughs> take <laughs> me, and I'll kind of slope off and take So you're doing some camp prep, and he's digging holes and cutting blocks with axes. Okay, takes about 12 hours to unload the ship, and a few hours more to establish the temporary camp. Wafts of sulfurous smoke from the smouldering volcano drift over the teams now and then, as you ceaselessly unload. At six o'clock... On the morning of November the 15th, the Gabriel casts off from the ice, pushes free into the Ross Sea once more. Depending on the weather and the ice, she will idle there now for weeks, except for her powerful radio, which will transmit messages to the rest of the world. In case of emergencies, she can come to the expedition's rescue. As the temp- at the temp- that hmm? Underline that part. Okay. It's on page 111, just yeah. in case you need to remind me. 111? Yeah. yeah. At the temporary camp, tents are established and hot meals are prepared. Both tractors are in use. One hauls heavy loads from the shore, while the other labours to smooth the runway on the ice. The first aircraft, the RF Scott, the Fairchild monoplane, has been assembled, while the pieces of the two remaining Boeings... Boeing. (laughs) Boeing. Weedle and Enderby... Did we get damaged, or did we replace it? No, we replaced it. You've lost one of them, essentially. So how many do we have? We have two planes. Yeah. Out of yeah. three. I didn't know whether we had four and now we're down to three. Or no, whether yeah. we've no, we, we had three, three and down to two. Sorry, was I not supposed to remind you of that one? I knew it was there. Hang on. Oh, okay. um, I've been uncreated in a wet final assembly nearby. Most of the expedition's fuel remains near the shore. It will take several days to ferry it inland to the camp. But enough is present for an initial flight by the Scott... Once the runway is prepared, you have the Scott, the Weedle, and the Enderby as your planes. Well, which one's damaged then? I can't remember. Don't make it. Well, we have to. Yeah, we have, yeah. If, we, if it's damaged, the we have to. The one that's the it. hardest to pronounce. Yeah, the hardest to pronounce plane. Yeah, the Enderby is damaged. Looking at the damage, let's see. 
You can't tell us we have these planes when clearly one of them... Four of the two great engines belonging to the Boeing aircraft have broken free of their straps and loose within the chamber. Uh, yeah, you've lost two of the engines, essentially. Everything, da, 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 boxes of wings are dimpled and crushed by the aircraft. Yeah, yeah you've lost, I think you've lost one of your planes. Yeah, we've lost the equivalent of one plane. Yeah, so you can probably put the one together. Mm-hmm. But we got spare parts in case we need them for this. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Right, working on the ice. For most explorers, this is their first opportunity to work in the deep Antarctic cold. Polar survival. Even in the near-perfect weather of November the 15th and uh, 14th and 15th, temperature hovers around zero degrees Fahrenheit. Each breath of wind numbs fingers and cheeks and bites deeply into unprotected skin. The thick, heavy Arctic clothing must be worn at all times. Everyone outside must remain constantly alert to the dangers of frostbite. Workers learn quickly to examine each other's faces whenever they meet and to warn one another of pale spots or other signs of freezing flesh. Mm, mm, mm. Fat man, you got a little spot. Oh, that's pudding, that's pudding. That's <laughs> this frozen pudding, I like that, it's funny. For those moving cargo or digging, sweat is a constant danger. It dampens cloth, works its way into socks and shoes, and freezes readily whenever it cools. The slightest trace of moisture in boots or gloves can lead to frostbite and gangrene. Vigilance must be continuous, and this sort of frostbite cannot be seen by others. You lot, who work with machinery, face a different problem. The assembly of vehicles, towers and the like cannot be accomplished while wearing the heavy Antarctic mittens. Lighter gloves or even bare hands are frequently necessary. Metal screws, shafts, bolts and even the handles of tools stick to dampened skin and must be touched gingerly, if at all. It is frequently necessary to pull one's arms inside the parka to warm them. Get the idea of working in this wondrous it's environment. Cold. Hey, 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 <laughs> I, won't, I bet you, you won't stick your uh, tongue in that uh, crane there. Double dog dairy. Triple dog dairy. <laughs> 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 Triple dog That's so funny. That's a breach protocol. <laughs> He jumped right to the triples. <laughs> <laughs> bet you I cut that ice in my nipple. <laughs> That's very wrong. (laughs) Right, floating on Antarctica. The icy surface near the camp is rough and uneven, pushed up into a million small spikes and ridges by the pressures of water and wind. Beneath the ridges, snow is... Between the ridges, snow is caught in varying depths, sometimes fresh and often packed heavily into hard layers. It squeaks and squeals beneath the cleats of the explorer's boots. What? Kind of like poodles. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Be ruby. <laughs> okay. Where there is no snow, the ice is ancient, hard, and slick. Everyone falls many times the first day. <laughs> yeah. I don't fall. On. I... Everyone falls. I can't see there's snow in my face. I float gracefully to the ground. <laughs> on top of ape. <laughs> <laughs> and runs the risk of hurting themselves on the ice uh, if they do. Apparently, you can make successful, multiple, frequent successful dex rolls avoids this, and you, you need uh, luck rolls to avoid taking damage. But I'm not going to make you do that because it's silly. But I can roll a one and do like <laughs> I was going to go for the triple lots. 
Despite the dangers, definitely did fall. Yeah. standing on the Antarctic ice is exhilarating. The surface holds no. a million subtle shades of blue and green, no. tinged sometimes with red from the low polar sun. Pardon me. Ice crystals catch the light and sparkle in tiny rainbow flashes, distracting the eye with a sense of quiet, hidden motion. Breath hisses as it freezes, floating away in thick white clouds or condensing into frosty rims on moustaches, anoraks and furred hoods. Extra protection, extra warm. I used to do a paper under my hair, used to freeze. <laughs> oh god, did you not dry it properly? No, it was just really damp out. Oh, so oh yeah. Mm. It would freeze. It was interesting. When the wind rises, visibility drops oh, to zero in brief but blinding flurries of blown snow. Whiteouts are common. When this happens, the sky and the horizon are abruptly lost in walls of brilliant white, and it is no longer possible to see features more than a few feet away. These times are dangerous ones, especially for those on the trail. In the camp and between the campsite and the shores, lines of poles bearing brightly coloured flags are set every few feet, the better to guide lost explorers to safety. Yeah. It's very the same Saturday. It is indeed. Remind me of, I see your hands so I can catch it and set your yeah. foot on fire. Here we go. Even when there is no wind and the air is clear, it is strangely easy to miscalculate and lose one's way. The Antarctic air has a curious property, often commented upon by explorers, of distorting distance in uncanny fashions. Small objects close at hand seem huge and far away, while enormous distant features look close enough to touch. This subtle derangement Derangement gives visitors to the Antarctic a sense of living slightly out of touch with the world, as if the whole polar continent were some sort of careful illusion that might shatter at any time. I feel like I'm in San Francisco. Mm. Right, Ross Island. The island itself, with its smoking Mount Erebus looming overhead, is a fascinating distraction just a few miles away. There's little time to play tourist. Starkweather's urgings and the schedule of the season leave no opportunity for leisure, but the famous mountain is there if investigators, that's you lot, wish to visit. A map of Ross Sea and its surrounding area occurs on the opposite page. I can give you a copy probably if you really want one. I think we'll survive. No seals, no penguins. This is the worst trip ever. (laughs) (laughs) Some birds fly overhead. Boom! Yes, sir! (laughs) Go on! Not anymore. <laughs> I was going to wait for the seal. The, 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 actually, I was going to wait by the seals because they're all cute and cuddly and wait for the whale to jump up and grab it, then get the whale. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. There are a number of huts on the western side of the island from previous expeditions. Most are in good condition, many actually usable, though roof repairs are necessary on the older huts, such as those left by Scott in 1904 and Shackleton in 1908. Those guys sucked at being Arctic explorers, though. Yeah, but they left huts behind. You guys can yeah. use. Actually, uh, what? Yes, Jabba the Hut. That's what they left yes. behind. Thank you, dear. Gaba peach doya nipple pinch. Roughly translated, that means what? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta take it back. Shackleton did get all of his men back alive. That's so funny. Much of the equipment brought over by these early expeditions remains in their huts. There is a good chance that emergency food, medical supplies, and a few spare parts are still there and usable if needed. Quick, see if I left a spare plane. Several of the huts contain books as well, mostly fiction, 
though there are also encyclopedias, medical texts, and other useful resources. Most recent volumes date from 1910. I'll take a lot of pictures. Okay, very good. I want my readers to see. A cairn of stones not far from Scott's 1911 hut flies a Miskatonic University flag. Um, the definition of a can? A can? Can. Can. That. Archaeological burial term. It's a pile of rocks. Pile of rocks. Okay. <laughs> See? We just said a pile of rocks. Um, Are any of these books from the Miskatonic? No. Okay. They're all from previously. You know, well, anyone make me a no roll? No. A no roll. Can we just assume I Passed it. By one. Uh, passed it. I yeah. Passed it you passed it. Yeah. Oh my god, I, I got a 95. With a 10. Anyone else? Jennifer? I got a 95. I can't. Tracy? Everybody, I got a 45. Everybody, a know, everybody knows from their previous readings that the Miskatonic University expedition buried a wooden box inside the can containing a few trinkets, including the Miskatonic University yearbook 1930 and a card signed by all of the members of the expedition's land party, just as a sort of time capsule dealy. Well, let's see what it looks like. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna disturb it. You know it's there. You don't need for like people who come in hundreds of years time. Right. Oh, and the box is disintegrated and all the innards have turned. There's to no light. bacteria up here. The wood won't rot. And to be honest, it's probably frozen. Although the sea ice south of Ross Island is desolate in comparison to the reported plenty in the Bay of Wales, Bay of Wales is where you need to be. It is still far from lifeless. You are joined from the beginning by a number of curious locals. <laughs> now, the only thing to photograph here, if you kill them, I will hit you with my camera. Just a few of them. You just see it in action shot. <laughs> Click as its brain spurts out of the He's trying to time his gunshots with your, your clicks of your camera. You're like. <laughs> There's just this red sneer on the ice because he's brought an elephant gun. <laughs> he's tickled. <laughs> you just see two penguin feet standing there. <laughs> smoking. <laughs> But they're happy feet! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's shooting <laughs> Right. Oh my god, that one can dance! Bam! <laughs> it's an abomination before God! Bang. Oh my god, I'm not happy feet we're getting to this. I'm right. This long, actually. The, the first, first time we saw a penguin! <laughs> it's a penguin! Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't give him chance. The first emperor penguins <laughs> arrived <laughs> soon after docking, possibly attracted by the noise. These are large birds standing three to four feet high and weighing as much as 80 pounds, with black bodies and yellow-white like abdomens. They watch for, from a distance in groups of four or five, never leaving the water's edge, but calling out now and then in short, sharp squawks. In, in Cthulhu, their size six to seven, just for comparison. Oh shit! About three or four feet tall. Yeah. I'm a thirteen. I'm only a twelve. Wonder how they look, really. I like this high. Can you imagine having one on a spit? <laughs> We're oh. feast like kings up here. Yeah. We're down here. Emperors. No emperors. <laughs> <laughs> feast like emperors. Yeah. 
Adelie penguins are smaller, perhaps size two to three, a classic black, in classic black and white. They wander everywhere near the water, seemingly fascinated by your equipment and quite unafraid. Easy to chase and to capture, they show no signs of alarm, even when attacked by the sled dogs. <laughs> Ooh, can I catch one and pick it up? Mm-hmm. She, she just said you could. I catch one and pick it up. You catch one and pick it up. What does it do? It's a penguin. It kind of curiously looks at <laughs> oh, you. Oh, can I make it my pet? You can't have a pet penguin. There are hundreds of them here. Yes. So they won't miss one. <laughs> you got to take it with you. Look at me, I got a penguin. <laughs> Look at my penguin. I'm going to be an emperor because it's bigger. Yes, <laughs> but I can carry mine around. Yeah, they're, 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 my burger. They're, 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 they're a bit more cagey. <laughs> I can oh, ride okay. my penguin. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get six penguins and lash them in front of the of sled dogs. Him. Much, much. Get it off! <laughs> <laughs> right. Burger. The sea ice is also home to a few Weedle seals, thick-blooded, <coughs> thick-bodied <coughs> creatures marked in black and grey, ranging from seven to eight feet long and weighing 300 pounds or more. They lie at the edge of the sea and watch all the fuss without apparent interest. Olaf Snabjorn, delighted, shoots one of the seals the first day and drags it into camp for his dogs. He butchers it messily that evening not far from the mess tent. Not aptly named, apparently. What? The mess of Nath, now covered in seal. <laughs> I tells the dogs they have done well. Try some. It's good eating. I'll pass. Thanks. <laughs> um, he uh, explains holding out a red slab of steaming meat. Uh, not everyone agrees, it says here. <laughs> I keep rotating the penguin on the spit. You did not kill a penguin. You're not allowed. <laughs> it's like the 1930s. It's all for sampling new things. Yeah. Yes, but I'm a squeamish, annoying woman. Yeah. <laughs> we have large birds that aren't terrified to run away from us. This could feed people. <laughs> they're, so, they're so cute. Well, don't look at them. But they have, like, little suits on It has to be said you don't really have a fire here, because it hmm? melts through the ice and then you die. Uh, at a ball. You have, oh, like, at a ball dancing. Yeah. You have, like, heating. Uh, we up off the ice. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably have, like, a fake little, like, a primus <laughs> stove. <laughs> See? Would you like the leg? No. No, whatever you say, Sexton. I'm a vegetarian. See, it's tapping. <laughs> Late on the morning of the 15th, the trail party radios in. They found a navigat- navigatable trail up into the barrier and an excellent campsite not far beyond. Plans are made at once to examine the site during the Scots' first flight later that afternoon. I'm confused. Um, yes. Okay. If we're at Scott's old site, isn't that a good site to begin with? I mean, this is his sort of the site that they pre- used. His, pre- his base camp. This is where, yeah, no, this isn't his base camp. Base camp would be up on the barrier. Okay. Your, this is this is where he got off his ship uh, and put okay. up like a temporary hut to store his shit in. And then, is that oh, where we are now? Then? Yeah, you're currently yeah. on the, on the same level as the yeah. sea, pretty okay. much. You're a few feet above the sea, and you're going to drag all your shit up under the barrier. Isn't it going to be windier if we're higher? Yeah. Yeah, but it'd be safer because the ice won't melt, or we won't get covered in water. There you go. You won't fall in and drown. We're going to need killer whales jumping up eating seals. Oh! No, because we always have that. So I figure I can get one of those and mount it over my... Uh, once we're done, we can mount it over my... Uh, Nobody's going to see you because you're going to be like this. And, uh, no, don't okay. fall, otherwise you'll come up with like a face full of ice. And you'll be like, I can't see! That would be the coolest animal ever to have over your mantle place is a killer whale. A whole one. Yeah. I need a blue whale over your mantle piece. Then you yeah, know, you're, then you know you're rich. But blue whales don't lunge at penguins, unfortunately. Depends no, they depends how you stuff them. Flap them around. Yeah. 
Right. And I just hit the ice penguins go catapulting into the water. <laughs> right. There are no penguins in the Antarctic. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Are there any baby seals? Goddamn penguins! Do we have to gag you? Are you clubbing baby seals? <laughs> He's clubbing seals. I'm going clubbing. Paul's going to make her a nice coat. <laughs> what? You think the penguins committed suicide? He's going to use the sea lies as buttons. <laughs> Here, it's a nice meat. It's a nice, you know, fur coat made for you myself. I'm not taking anything of you. I don't really know The you. fur is water-resistant. <laughs> right. Less than an hour later, more news is received, this time oh. from the ship. Acacia Lexington's expedition has flown non-stop over the South Pole in their monoplane, the Bell, and returned safely to their base camp on the barrier. Stark Weather, for once, receives the report in calm silence. Are they on the same barrier as us, then? They're on the same Antarctica as you. No, it's it's the big cliff that makes up Antarctica. Several hundred miles long. It's huge. I'm sorry, I can't picture this at all. So where's the big uh, underground pyramid that has aliens in it? We're in Houston. They're in Montgomery. It's it's the bit. Mobile. You have ice here, and you have like a cliff slash slope, and then you have the Ross Ice Shelf, which is big and huge. You've been to Galveston? Yes. We're on the beach before the seawall. There you go. She's also flying around on the Ross Ice Shelf, well, but she's a few days ahead, so she's pulling the, the shit up on yeah, top. Get the, uh, okay. get our, get our two planes. I've, got, I've got some pictures of kind of the cliffy bits. Just, so we're going to go out to drill, and we're going to find a big, barrier perfectly round hole. It, it, what it means ice. is a cliff, essentially. It's, it's a nice barrier. And an old whaling camp. Right. Where are we? Hang on. The Scot takes to the air at 2.15 that afternoon, lifting easily from its rough runway to the still and cloudless skies with Halperin and Longfellow at the controls. You can go... supposed to be flying. He's sitting there like, no, you're in the you passenger you're the seat. Yeah. You're the one in the back going, no. This, this is the little plane. There are only two pilots. So, Ned, during its first... Like, during its two-hour flight, the little plane flies over Fiskarsen's suggested campsite Waggles its wings at the Le- uh, Lexington Expedition Camp not far beyond. And drops the bomb. And flies south and west to the barrier's surrounding hills before returning. Everything runs flawlessly. Flight crew are elated. Work begins at once, lengthening the runway and assembling the Boeings for flight. The Boeing. Boeing. Stark weather, unusually quiet, stays out of the way, but insists the work continues around the clock and through the sunlit night. He's such a slave driver. I'm tell the pilot to fly over Jenna and I'll drop a water balloon on top of it. <laughs> okay, by the time it's it hits freezes, the ground, it's just a ball of ice. <laughs> it's going to be a 20-pound ball of ice nailing her in the head. He's trying to kill me. <laughs> drop. Oh, God! Crack! It's splat. No, what would be worse? What would be worse is if she actually moved it and would just... Crack! Right through the ice and made everything just crack and break everywhere. <laughs> you, you, you want to sink the Antarctic. <laughs> I've got my eye on you, boys. Looks like you have both planes. You must have started with three. Four. Yeah. A uh, four, rather. You must have started yeah, okay. with four. Because it's, right. it's discussing this and there's nothing you can do We lost the McKimsey. Okay, there yeah, you go. Yeah, I'm sure it's in the, it'll be in your um, massive pile of crap back. It just tells me every single ounce of tat you took with you. But okay. I'm sure. There you go. The end of the 
Well, see if the planes see anybody else other than us and the other crew. There might be Argentinians or something. Argentinians. Or Eskimos. No. Yeah, or Canadians. The next few days are filled with the sounds of aircraft engines. The end of the takes to the... Just, just the engines screaming. <laughs> Your face was funny. Oh my god. <laughs> to be honest, it's better a plane than budgy little helicopter. It's <laughs> getting ready to go strafe the other can. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, help me blow this on the plane. What is it? It's called a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you make out of it? It could have been a car. Oh, it has to be daka 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 yeah. boom. Yeah. These planes have guns. Daka 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 boom. Okay. Right, I'm going to get that the, sound clip. The end of it takes to the air on the morning of November the 16th, followed shortly by the Weedle. The smaller Scott continues to make mapping flights across the Ross Sea shore and the mountains of the barrier's western edge. With the two Boeings beginning a methodical process of airlifting the expedition to its new home 40 miles away. 40 miles? The airlift is expected to take six days. We must move the base, Professor Moore explains to the curious. Within a month, the sea ice on which we now stand will break up and float away. We must be atop the barrier by then. When we leave in three months' time, we shall load directly from the barrier itself a feat which is currently too dangerous to attempt. Moore's words, though he has no way of knowing... Oh, very good. Each of the <laughs> Boeings... I hate how it does that in adventures. It's like, text, 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 something for the GM. Text, 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 text. It's ominously true. Ha, 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 ha. You should go through and highlight it. P.S. Don't read the, the I don't like part. writing and stuff. But. Each of the Boeings takes five trips on the 16th and six on the day after. By the afternoon of November the 17th, the expedition's permanent base camp is well established on the smooth ice of the barrier. More, more, more than half of the explorers, including three sled teams, are there. The two tractors and half a dozen men remaining on the sea ice to load the aircraft as they arrive. Do you want to stay behind on the sea ice so you can have a greater participation in the events of the following day? Well, there's more things to hunt. You're down hunting seals. You're taking photos. You're dealing with the planes as they're coming in. Yeah. And he's getting the bomb. Dropping crap. (laughs) Okay. He's he's building the bomb for the other camp. November the 18th at 10.40am. Nature forces a change in plan. (laughs) (laughs) You got his folder wet. Thank you. He's so mean. Right in the face. A great crack opens up in the ice not far from the sea camp, running more than a hundred yards inland from the shore with a deep rippling pop. You're all on the sea ice? Go, oh crap, there's a big crack. Put on my ice skates and head off. Two hours later, it lengthens further and two other huge fishes appear. Spearing inland from the open sea. We're all going to die. Hey, dog. I start spitting at it, trying to close it. One seems aimed directly at your camp. The other threatens to cut the remaining supplies off from the safety of the runway. The sea ice is breaking up early. The expedition is not prepared. This is the last day. It's the 18th. Yeah, you should be moving stuff. 
A hurried radio message informs the aircraft and the barrier camp of the trouble. All hands are roused to save the precious equipment and fuel. The next several hours are race against time as cracks in the ice multiply and move inward towards the camp. Load after load of food, supplies and gasoline drums are dragged inland and stacked up by the runway. With each new trip, you pray harder that it, is, it will not be the last. The aeroplanes load, unload and turn around as fast as they can, but the, the amount of cargo that remains at, ri at risk is huge. Gabrielle steams westward to help, but she is far away and cannot arrive before the next morning. The new fissure opens up inland of the, sea, uh, of the seaside cachet at three o'clock that afternoon, directly in front of one of the racing tractors. The tractor crew must watch in horror as the open water yawns before them and the icy surface tips to one side. Thirty drums of fuel and more than a ton of pemmican slide quietly into the water and are gone. Quick, somebody save the pemmican. Oh, please! The airlift continues for another three hours, but it is clear that the end is near. The two tractors are attached to short trains of heavy pallets and instructed to head overland towards the barrier. Someone else will get it. Along with study. dog sled trail. All the remaining men and women at the sea camp are ordered to accompany the tractor. There is no way to take them in the planes. So you're sat on tractor, pallets on the tractor. As the you tractors and pallets begin. How many tons of food? One ton of One ton of pemmican. Oh how much the, how much of them seals weigh? <laughs> Get a ton out of them easy. <laughs> in the face of rising Three winds or four of them will and do. oncoming storm clouds, the two aircraft make one more trip and then a second. Shortly after 6pm, Larry Longfellow, piloting the Weedle, reports that a fissure has appeared across the runway itself, making it impossible to land. He aborts his flight and returns to the barrier base. The Enderby, preparing for her next flight, does not even leave the ground. The remaining 20 tonnes of aircraft fuel are abandoned to the sea. 20 tonnes? Mm-hmm. Dang. So how much did we lose in the first bit? 30 barrels. So why is it measured drums. in barrels and then tonnes? No, it's just confusing and annoying. In all, the breaking of the ice costs the expedition 140 drums of aviation fuel, nearly half its supply. It is, bitter bitter, it is a bitter blow. The tractor party struggles all night through the lowering temperatures and blowing snow. They arrive exhausted but safe shortly before noon the following day. So it takes you rather long time on the back of the tractors to be towed to the barrier camp. Hey, dog. A roughening sea and the increasing shelving of ice from the barrier forces Captain Vredenberg to give up his rescue plans and withdraw the Gabriel from shore. November the 19th is blustery, with falling snow and poor visibility. The aircraft are tied securely within their makeshift shelters. There is barely enough room for the entire expedition in the buildings erected so far. The loss of the extra fuel casts a pall around the party, but everyone is safe and sound upon the ice. Despite the losses, the expedition is at last ready to begin its mission of discovery. Dun, dun, dun. It's losing crap everywhere, aren't you? <clears throat> no, we're leaving markers. Yeah, that was our time capsule. Yeah, so like when all that. these animals died from fuel poisoning, yeah. when we were here. You just dropped 140 tons of fuel in the Antarctic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make a mark of that, and when gas prices get high, we'll go down and get it. <laughs> <laughs> Buy yourself a submarine. That's funny. 
Right, the camp on the barrier is ready for use. After several days of hard labour and desperate good, desperate good luck, the men and women of the expedition at last can rest, and not a moment too soon. Aww. The weather is turning throughout the region, and thin clouds of dry-blown snow make flying impossible. The Antarctic sun's low amber rays appear and disappear between the clouds, casting a stark whiteness of the barrier. Ice, by turns into vivid relief, along shadows and impenetrable grey murk. Starkweather Moor Expedition's base camp is not luxurious. Quarters are cramped. The two wooden huts are barely large enough for anyone to stand in at all. Most of the explorers live in their tents. In depressions, sheltered somewhat from the wind, with walls built up out of blocks of ice. Work continues on the dog kennels, the weather shack, and the, the laboratories and the dark room, the hangars for the aeroplanes, but they're far from complete. The two functioning Boeings, the Weedle and the Enderby, and the little Scott are as firmly tied down and well anchored as possible. But the expedition pilots check them often to be sure they're not damaged by the cold and the wind. Guides and dogmen work with the sleds and their teams, exploring trails, setting flags even farther from the camp, while the aerial wires for the radio are strung and the Pabodi drills are assembled and tested for the first time in the field. The plan calls for Pulaski, Fiskarsen and Schnarnbjorn to depart the next morning with three sleds on the cachet-laying journey. Their goal is to lay emergency supplies of food and fuel 250 miles away along the flight path to Lakes Camp and the Miskatonic Mountains. The sleds are prepared. The men sleep in preparation for their oncoming trip. Of scientists, only the meteorologists and Sam Winslow, the glaciologist, have much to do. Their jobs are just beginning. The rest organise their instruments, accustom themselves to the deadly cold, and rest, waiting for the weather to clear. Isn't that good? Yeah. 3am, November the 20th. Clouds still hang low over the camp, but the air is still. The sun shines brightly from the southeast through the thin white haze, searing the eyes, but casting only blurry shadows. The bell is not loud. You need to make a pow times three roll. 22. Fail. Does that undo your pow times three? Very easily. Failed. Alright, anyone who passes hears a bell um, and are awakened. Heart, I hear a bell. You're awakened by it from your sleep. I didn't know she was the from camp, the south. The camp itself starts to sort of jostle and wonder what's going on. Strap on the ice skates, <laughs> strap, on the, uh, strap on the rifle. What happened if you fail? Uh, if you fail, you're still asleep. Yeah. Um, you're eventually um, in the morning. <laughs> All right, look around, see where the bell is, where the sound's coming from. Get dressed first. <laughs> Good plan. You know, I'm shit. I'm gonna run outside. You know, you see know where the reason. The bell is. You know the reason for the bell. It was explained to everyone on the voyage south. The bell is the radio's mayday alarm. Someone somewhere is calling for help. Okay. Can they wait till morning? Start morning. It's three a.m. Starkweather emerges from his tent almost at once and jogs across the ice to the meeting hall without closing up his coat. The frozen ground chirps and squeaks beneath his boots in a sudden silence 
as the alarm bell goes mute. Alert, alert investigators. Uh, you, you two can run in with yeah. him if you like. You two start to wake up as you hear people jostling. Inside the hut, a handful of explorers crouch around the radio man LaRoche as he flips switches and tunes the radio dials. Powerful signals, signal rings across the hisses of static for a moment. Dita, dita, dita. Before LaRoche tunes it away and a voice can be heard. Help! If you can hear me, land a party at once. The camp is under attack. This is Tony Hop- Hopewell calling Tallahassee. Mac, can you hear me? There. The voice stops, punctuated by two sharp reports like gunshots. A moment later, the carrier fades, leaving only static. Yay, Acacia's right getting her just desserts. Acacia's getting her just desserts. I jump into the hot plane and... I mount my you jump, jump into the bat plane and off you go. Yeah, I mount my kangaroo like a tauntaun. Let's go. Uh-huh. <laughs> LaRoche and Starkweather stare at each other and at the radio, shock written on their faces. No one quite knows what to do. Forty seconds later, a faint hollow rumble like thunder rolls across the camp from the north. <laughs> That's about right, yeah. Okay, does Tallahassee mean anything? Is that Tallahassee is Acacia's ship. Okay. It's under attack. That's no, they're bad. calling the, the... It's to the north, which would be Acacia's up. camp is to the north. Yeah, let's load... Get Ape up. Let's... Uh, do we have a tractor? Yeah, we got a tractor. Starkweather grabs a pair of binoculars from a peg by the door and exits the hut, heading for high ground. Climbing a nearby ridge, he scans the ice to the north. There's nothing to see. The haze hides it all. Everyone in the camp is now awake. Men emerge from their tents in disarray, curious, uneasy. Mo sets Lopez and Cole to preparing food and water, while Pulaski and Snab, Snab yawn, ready the sleds. Everyone seems to know that something is wrong and that something needs to be done. No one knows just what has happened or why. Inside the meeting hall, LaRoche remains at his post. If you are there, you can... Dude, wake up, wake up. <laughs> yeah. see, see if you can get the Yankees game. See if we can get the Yankees game. I get my we, rifle. We get, yeah, we get our rifles out and we wait for the guys with the sled dog. We might as well listen to yeah, the he's, Yankees he's game. He's busy doing stuff with the radio. Um, he seems to be trying to contact the Tallahassee. Oh, okay. I guess that's more important than the score. A few moments later, LaRoche has Macaulay, Tallahassee's radio man, on the line. The resulting conversation reveals that Acacia's fuel cache and mess hall appear to be ablaze along with several tents. No one can see much from aboard the ship. The haze shifts and obscures the shore. But men on watch report hearing gunshots. Everyone can see a pall of smoke over the scene. No one is answering the radio. Tallahassee is helpless, despite clear water at the foot of the barrier. It is far too dangerous to come alongside the ice, even to put a party ashore, and there is nowhere for a small boat to land. Okay, so it's up to us, guys. Hero mode on. Somebody wake Batman up. Starkweather returns to the hall in time to hear the end of the conversation. He demands the microphone and leans over the radio. Tallahassee, this is Starkweather. I'm preparing an overland party. It's only eight miles, so we ought to be there shortly. I'm taking food, fuel and medical supplies, but we can't afford to bring a radio. So I'll fire off two white flares when we arrive. Do you understand? Tell your captain not to worry. We'll do everything we can. 
shouldn't there be uh, red flares because we're in like the middle of the Antarctic? I mean, if it's white, they look up and see if it's against snow. How they want to tell? They're glowing awful bright. Yeah. Handing the microphone back to LaRoche, he flashes a delighted grin at everyone else in the room. Suddenly, he's every inch the heroic adventurer. Come on! You lot, I want you, 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 and you. Sounds like there's a leak in the fuel line. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone with first aid training to be ready for a little trek in 15 minutes with a young lady to rescue. So, I gotta do two things? Yeah. Jenna's right we got here. first aid training, and he, then he told me to come with him. So yeah, and you're bu- people with first aid are coming too. Got the rifle, got the God. shotgun. You got the ferrets. We take one of the. I got the rifle. You got a rifle. Don't you have a Browning? Get the, might not the have BAR. Your. I don't want to take everything around we here. We can't risk taking a plane. Her runway may be damaged. Well, we can have a plane fly over to give if us a general fe- idea. If it makes you feel better, you can hold your hands out and go... When I mean, moving. if we're eight miles away, we can have a plane up there and fly back. And he, Since it's going to take... True. A- we can send a plane up while the sled dogs make the ground. Yes. But we're not taking a radio, so it's not going to make any difference. Don't so the planes have a radio? Yes, but we won't be able to know what they're going to tell us because we're not taking one. Right. How long is it going to take the sled dogs? Not too long. What about a little walk, What about one of those shortwave little walkie-talkie things? Wait, they don't, those won't, won't be invented for a few more years. This is the size of a trail radio. Yeah. And we're not taking one? Well, you might take one. It's a trail radio. It's meant to go on a trail. But the... Um, no, I'm saying how long it would take to get the sled dogs operational, because those planes can be there and back in ten minutes. It won't be long. Okay. Outside, with quiet competence, Mo has already begun readying the equipment for the journey. Two sleds prepared for the cashier deploying journey are rapidly restocked with emergency and medical supplies as the dogmen harness two teams. James Starkweather loudly announces his plans to the assembling camp. Starkweather has asked that all of you lot accompany him, as well as anyone with medical or military experience. <laughs> the smile has gone. He is now deadly serious, as has the, and has the air of a soldier going into battle. Take like my that. gun, take my rifle, take my shotgun... We don't know what we're going to face, man. I take my rifle. Good. I take my utility belt. I take the utility belt off and put it on me. (laughs) It doesn't fit. (laughs) Hey, hey, what do you think? This Thompson with these shoes or this BAR with these boots? I like the boots. All right, we'll go with the boots then. I think everyone should be armed for this. If you haven't got a weapon, find yourself one. Give her the machine gun. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think you can move me. <laughs> oh! Wait, wait, brief... I get you wet, stiffen you up. <laughs> a brief time later, the rescue party departs. Two sleds laden with supplies drawn by 11, 11 dog teams accompany the little band. For most of the group, it is their first trip across the wild ice the of the Ross Barrier. The party consists of Starkweather, Sykes, Dr. Green, Pulaski, Snarbjorn, and Ulot. It's going to look kind of funny holding a machine gun around. You haven't got a machine gun. Yeah, she's going to do the thing in iRobot where she closes her eyes and just fires. She'll have a side arm. Besides, it's funnier to give her well, this, like, here. she have the muffin yeah. oh, yeah, she, has, she has a Saturday night special. Yeah. But she's probably going to be giving a pistol. Give her a, give her a sawed-off. 
She can't miss with one of those. You don't gotta aim. Elephant gun. <laughs> Pointing a general 180 yeah. to 250 degree arc and yeah. fire. You don't gotta just, aim. Yeah, here's a scatter gun. Boom. Just, you know, point it at the bad guy and shoot. Make sure nobody you like standing in front of you, or any of us for that matter. The dogs break the trail most of the way, drawing the sleds after them, with the remainder of the men skiing or slogging along behind. So you're skiing or slogging yeah. along. With I feel like, like snow, snowshoes. Attempting to just drag yourself along behind. I feel like I'm in the biathlon again. All of the, all of you lot, oh, everyone but Dr. Green are accomplished skiers. Green tries gamely, though he's clumsy and tires easily, and soon agrees to ride one of the sleds for the sake of the emergency. So I'm an accomplished skier and I didn't even Apparently know. Apparently so. No, 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 no. The NPCs are accomplished Aww. skiers. See, I, have, I have, like, you know, skiing. Well, skating. Did you, did you skating. Sketching. Yeah. You can slog along, but you're uh, having like a hard time. Looks like I'm slogging. Yeah. <laughs> Jenna's in a sled. Most likely, yes. Jenna's in a sled. I'll be it's, skating on the ice. It's a hard trip, but an exciting one. The ground rises and falls in great ridges and waves. At a glance, the terrain appears flat and featureless, but that is not the case. Holes and cracks are everywhere. Some open to the sky, others hidden beneath deceptive veneers of thin ice and snow. The air is bitterly cold. Breath crackles as it freezes into puffs of white mist. Rime builds quickly on eyebrows and moustaches, and everyone is soon chilled to the bone. Shifting clouds and occasional drifts of fog change the landscape, moment to moment. <laughs> Objects are distorted by the uneven light and lack of reference, frequently appearing much farther or nearer than they really are. The dogs bark and howl as they drive, eager to be out and on, on a run. They do not seem to feel the cold. The world is shades of white and grey, with deep pools of blue here and there, in the depths of icy seams. All that can be heard is the sound of dogs, the squawk and hiss of runners on the snow, and the rustle and crunch of one's own boots and clothing. No one seems eager to speak. Olaf Snabjorn drives the first sled, Gregor Pulaski the second. Within minutes of the departure from camp, Starkweather takes the lead from Pulaski, presses the team on himself with every evidence of glee. His enthusiasm is contagious. The first hour of the trip passes swiftly. We are now 200 yards away. Nonetheless, travelling over the barrier is immensely tiring. There are several long, straight stretches of snow where the sleds can move freely, but the land between is abruptly broken and pressing upwards by the forces beneath it. Some ridges can be climbed only with ropes, Sleds and even dogs must be pulled or carried up or down the slopes they could not climb. More than once, the team reaches impassable ground and has to double back for several hundred yards. Every muscle in your body aches before the trip is done. There are no deadly accidents on this first trip between the camp. Note, note how that's written. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you may roll me a luck check. Luck or luck? Luck. Luck. Passed it. 57. Lindsay passes with a 25. 27, I passed. I passed with an 11. Woohoo! Yeah. Um, okay, you don't slip, fall, do anything bad. You feel that burning in your body sexy? That's pain leaving. That's weakness <laughs> leaving the body. If you keep going, your body will push you behind the It lips. takes more than two hours to cover the eight miles between the camps. Four if you must walk instead of on skis. Are you, are you going to try to ski? Hell no. 
Why not? I'll go like this and just hit nice and go, foot. The last half mile is swift. The party follows trails of marker flags set out by Lexington's own people. Everyone is weary from the trip. At last, the other base camp comes into view. The Lexington Expedition Base Camp is smaller than yours. A single long wooden hut centres the site with a short row of tents spreading out to either side like the wings like wings or the sides of a V. The generator shack and radio tower sit in the middle of the V, while the scarred line of the landing strip is on one side. There's a map if you want to look. Okay. I see. Hmm? Main huts, V tent. Looking for smoke, fire, people. Oh, okay. It is imperative at once that something has gone very wrong. The air over the site is full of choking tang of smoke, the dark pall of burning fuel. Pale wisps of steam curl up from the soot-covered snow where the wet climate and diligent work of the cleaning crews have dampened the flames. The radio mast has fallen and lies crumpled against the ice. The neat cluster of huts and tents is covered by a thin film of ash. The pristine whiteness of the snow is marred by gutted remains. One end of the hut is blackened and burned. There is a gener- Where the generator shack once stood, there is now only a cooling aftermath of a bonfire. By the time you arrive, the chaos of the first minutes of the disaster has settled into the orderly business of putting the camp back together. Expedition personnel are everywhere in various states of calm. Some pull salvageable goods out of still smouldering tents. Others clear wreckage from smashed equipment. A little distance away, Wright and Marklin, who you don't know yet, stand by themselves contemplating the quietly smoking remains of the radio shed. The excited sled dogs bark and snarl at the stench of scorched canvas and gasoline as the sheds descend the gentle slope, the sleds descend. Heads turn at the unexpected sound. One man walks out to meet the party. Others follow at a distance. Welcome! He's not an American We heard you were coming. I am afraid there is so much for you to do. Miss Lexington wants to see you in the cook shack. I'll go ahead. Ah! I'll cover you. Starkweather replies, a bit taken aback. Of course! Whatever I can do. You knew we were coming? Yeah, the ship told us hours ago on the radio. Your camp is worried for you. Starkweather appears to be a bit deflated by the fact that he can't just rush in and clean things up. Got one question. Said there were bodies and stuff, or like gutted remains? Buildings. Buildings. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's a poetic license of the adventure. I'm making sure. So there are bodies, and I say, do they look like the ones off that whaling ship we saw? Cthulhu takes a, makes a lot of poetic license. Well, have you read Lovecraft? Yes. Have you read At the Mountains of Madness? No, I haven't read that one. That's the, the one that goes before this. It tells the story of the Miskatonic University expedition. Yeah. The one you're following on from. The actual novel is the pre-story At to this. At the Mountains of Madness. This is beyond the Mountains of Madness. Lindsay's read At the Mountains, haven't you, dear? Lindsay has it. Starkweather makes it clear that he wishes to be alone when he talks to Acacia. Oh, okay. I thought I had first dibs. Yeah. <laughs> you get sloppy seconds. <laughs> you're you're going to try and get in there, are you? She's a dirty fool. He puts his hand on your shoulder and goes, If you'd wait here, I'll be back in a moment. And walks off towards where Casey is. She might be armed, sir. Might need one of us. I've got a gun and I think she'll be fine. Mine's bigger. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> try and help out here if you can. Okay. 
but mine. Soon after Starkweather enters the cook shed, cook shed. (laughs) The sounds of an argument starts to roll across the camp. I lean against the door. If you're really quiet, you can probably hear the real life reenactment of it downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) You're that bad. Somebody in bother. Oh dear. Isn't it great playing in somebody else's house? Yeah, it's brilliant. Close that door too. Okay. Yes. Starkweather's stentorian bellow and Lexington's whip-crack responses burst out in brief passages every few minutes for the next two hours. Imbecile woman! You should never have allowed you to! How anyone tolerates your incredible arrogance, you... Had about all I can take of your posturing. Don't talk to me about posturing, you pompous... Etc. And so on. Each time the voices rise, everything stops in camp... Members of the two expeditions shrug wryly at one another before returning to work. Green and Sykes set immediately to the business of helping get the camp in order. The doctor seeks out and treats whomever needs treatment, while Sykes looks for a working radio with which to report back to Moe at the base. The camp's main generator and wireless sets have been destroyed in the disaster. The radio in the bell has been used to keep in touch with the outside world. There are a variety of people you can... Meander around. They're having sex. Yeah. <laughs> what the <hell> <laughs> I want to find out what did he mean by they were attacked. I want to figure. Out, I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened. So you're walking around talking to some people. Yes. Who would you like to talk to? I'm gonna talk to Chris. Let's try to find the radio. <laughs> you're gonna operator. talk to Chris. Yeah. Okay. Chris is Charles Sachs. Even has a C for the first name. Um. Yeah. He stood by the generator, attempting to piece together the mess left behind by the explosion. He stood with Tony Hopewell, if you walk on over. They uh, are arguing about the possibility of repairing the damage. A brief glance by you reveals that the generator is a total loss. Hopewell has a bandage on one arm, where he was shot by one of the madmen, he says. What madmen? Despite Hopewell's pessimism, he continues to hand Sachs the tools he is requesting in a steady stream while Sachs centres his attention on the damaged equipment. Hopewell is easily brought into the talk. It's been a horrible, horrible trip. Horrible. Uh, I'm going to help with the damaged equipment and talk with the mechanics. Okay. These guys here? Are they the mechanics? Well, they're trying to fix the generator. Yeah. It's been horrible. Horrible trip. Mishap after mishap. Hopeless affair. He keeps waving tools as he hands them to sex. He's in an awful mood. I don't know. You witnessed the bizarre death of one of them ship's crew. Bix. They were on there drinking brandy from a flask to ward off the chill. I'm talking about nothing in particular. And then he suddenly turned. He looked at me. Then back at the ocean, his eyes kept getting wider. Then he turned those eyes back to me again, and I swear they were going to pop out of his head. Then he started screaming, not saying anything, just screaming. I grabbed at him, but he pushed me off and jumped over the side. It was the damnedest thing. He screamed all the way down, looking at me. I didn't do anything to him, he just started screaming. 
Maybe I should have put my pants on. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's talking about the trip up and how bad it oh, was. Oh. How unfortunate that trip was. And their stories, do any of their stories match some of the stuff that happened to ours, like sabotage? Sabotage? Well, um, screaming, eye-popping craziness might fit something that happened on your ship. Yeah, with the dogs. Maybe. That guy that... Yeah, but that guy was did deliberate sabotage, and he never talked to us, even after two days of straight pistol, pistol whipping. That's because he was mutilated beyond recognition, wasn't he? No, it? you mean the strychnine poisoning, don't you? Yeah. The dogs went crazy on their own, didn't they? Mm, dogs no, were the dogs fed strychnine. That's why we had to throw away the pimmican. But why? Okay, I'm kind of confused. I forgot why. Sax is ignoring you and concentrating on the generator. What about the radio operator? Radio operator. Yes. Um, I believe Hope. Is it Hope? Oh, radio operator. Radio yeah, I think radio. Radio. Yeah, I Yeah, don't I? <laughs> going, going through their stuff, mm-hmm. any stuff that I find that we ended up losing. Mostly, most of what you lost was gasoline. And uh, we lost a whole lot more when we got here. And looks like they did too. <laughs> Everyone's just pulling stuff out of burning tents. You helping out? Yeah. Yeah. Try to think, um, are there any bodies of people? No, that you can see around the camp. Well, I'm you're talking to this guy, aren't you? Still, Hope, well, yeah. He's got a he's a bandage on his arm. So, what do you mean? What madmen? Where? Well, while I was on early watch, Bradbury and Dinsdale ran from behind the piled supplies. Points over to one side of the camp. Shouting and hollering, they're here and burn them out. Hopewell was, well, I was quite surprised because Bradbury was a good friend and always liked his sleep. Hopewell thought uh, perhaps there was a real danger. I was uh, looking for the source of the danger. Dinsdale lit a torch, put the first tent to flame. I, uh, ran with some others to try and stop him, and then Bradbury threatened us with a gun. He's uh, holding his bandage. It was like he didn't even know it was me. He was just wild. Anthony says he's gone snow crazy. Well, I can sure believe that. He shot me in the arm. Anthony's their doctor. Dr. Anthony. So some people have gone snow crazy, perhaps. Kind of quick. You've gone snow crazy. Bradbury and Dinsdale have gone snow crazy. Dinsdale. I check for large uh, hedgehogs. What? For Dinsdale. Never mind. Is it cultural? Actually, it's your culture, yeah. Really? Yes. Man being stalked by a giant hedgehog named Dinsdale. I think that's just your individual Glen kind of culture. Famous Monty Python skit. Oh. Okay. It's not that famous because I don't know it. Okay. <laughs> this dog. Dinsdale. With them. Dinsdale's whining. Right. The rest of you, he's talking to Hopewell and Sax. What are the rest of you doing? Get it? Sitting around. Pictures. Sitting around, yeah, helping these people. No. Look, you're sitting, <laughs> taking pictures. Look miserable. Click. <laughs> you can have your you can have your penguin hold up the uh, flash bulbs. Penguin. I think if you bring, who's talking to who? You can have my uh, beard warrior. What? Yeah. My 
my beard war. Beard war. Different game. So, yes, there's people around doing stuff. No one talking to anyone or he's helping out. Yeah, we'll help out. I'm also trying to see. What if, did they capture the madmen? I mean, yes, the cap- madmen are captured. Okay. They are detained. Lexington has them detained. Um, and one of them is still able to talk. We secure the ball gag. <laughs> you going to go and have a look at them? Yeah. Fred, they're in. Go and interview them. Hmm? Yeah. Fred can go and interview them for me. Fred's going to interview them for you. Yep. I don't okay, go around scary people. We have somebody called Jenna. Check uh, Jenna with an ER. We're going to check um, the foods and stuff. Okay. See if there's any poisoning or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You check. You start to check the foods. Yes, Ruby. Chemo- chemistry. Anything like that? Whoa, all right, I'm just going to taste it and see if you die. No, I was going to feed it to the ape. <laughs> see if he dies. Taste it a second. You need yeah. somebody to check the food. <laughs> I've got chemistry. I've got... Spot hidden. So, what are the crazy guys doing? Yeah. You are directed to the medical tent. Um, as you arrive, a rather rotund man in glasses is coming out of the medical tent. He's uh, a doctor. Ah, excuse me, I must get my doctor's bag. He runs across okay. He runs across the camp, reaches into a tent and pulls his bag out and then runs back. Um, can I help you? Well, yeah, we were sent to help. We were trying to... You know, we were looking at see what your, the attackers were doing. Any of you doctors or? Yes, I got three doctors. No medical doctors, equipped or, oh. or decent in first aid or anything. I'm decent. Good. Then you can come with me. Come on in. All right. He holds the tent door open. Okay. Ah, you, come help me nurse. If Jesus. you want me to fix people, then that you probably don't want me. I need. In- <laughs> I'm not very good at. But you're a woman. Come on. Give the tender care to these men. I shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Look, the we, crazy we man got a gun. Gave her the big gun. <laughs> no, it's dagger, 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 dagger. Boom! Obey <laughs> women. It's hard to stay. It's, 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 it's hard to stay mad, uh, mad when you have a dog in your lap. Apparently. Oh, yeah, we had, no, an, argue- we had an argument over who was going to get the Browning automatic rifle. We finally voted on you. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Got a 15% come in, come point. in. Okay. He leads you into the tent, speaks to you, you in a hushed... Why? He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't shoot the doctor. I'm pretty sure that in a, in a role-playing game, I can say I do this, and... Are you really trying to shoot the doctor? He just assumed that because I was a woman, I was a nurse. It's the 1930s. I'm offended. Yeah, but you wouldn't. I'm in the middle of the Antarctic. It's lawless here, right? (laughs) And she's freezing. Well, technically, it is lawless. Yeah, technically, there is no. Who's going to prosecute her? What's the jurisdiction? (laughs) You're going to shoot the doctor. You see, like six penguins in the jury box. <laughs> <laughs> Got the walrus with the judge wig on, you know? 
So, well, what's inside the tent? a Beatles video. I'm just trying to wait to see if the doctor's dead or not. She mm-hmm. missed. <laughs> she missed. <laughs> Bam! It was, a, it was a warning shot. <laughs> okay. He explains in a hushed voice that he has the two perpetrators inside. Mm. Dr. Anthony believes that the two men who attacked the camp are suffering from an acute case of snow craze brought on by their desolate surroundings. He knows the men well and is convinced that both of them are quite mad. He invites anyone who has medical skills, that would be the ape, (laughs) to speak to Dinsdale. He regretfully explains that Bradbury has slipped into some kind of catatonia. It's decided to leave the man unconscious for his own good. Just like that, a doctor's leaving you unconscious for your own good. You're better off unconscious. So, am I meeting the guy? Yeah, he's there. Tell us what you know. Is he, like, restrained or something? The what medic- happened to you, then? She's got the people skills. You're walking in. The medical tent the is a flimsy <laughs> excuse for a makeshift brig. Albert Priestley yeah. sits inside the tent on a folding stool, watching over unconscious Bradbury and fully alert Dinsdale. He does not look happy, has a thick, blood-soaked bandage on his left cheek. That's funny. He gives a worried glance to Dinsdale, to Bradbury, and an encouraging nod to Dinsdale. Anthony then excuses himself and returns to the main camp while you, as you enter with the doctor. <coughs> Unless you want to stop him and ask him anything. You guys interview him, I'll try to interrogate, or interview the gentleman that just left. Okay. Let's do the crazy folk first. Okay. Right. They're there. He sat there. He looks alert. So you can find a description of Dinsdale for you. Which, of course, I can't. Okay. He sat up. His friend's unconscious on a cot next to him. Is it real? And he was the one who set fire to the tent, right? Mm-hmm. So, why did you do it then? It's kind of rocking. Okay. His hands are shaking slightly. He's holding a cup of steaming coffee and he's wrapped in blankets. Why did you burn the tent? Pardon? Why did you burn the tent? Well, I, um, I I woke up early in the morning, um, and, and there were spiders. Spiders were coming in. Spiders were coming to camp. I I hate spiders. Hate them. Hate them. Came on this trip because there aren't any spiders here. Not in the Antarctic. There aren't no spiders. Ask anyone. No spiders. And and well, I thought, well, we'll burn them. We'll burn them out. We'll burn out the spiders. And um, yeah. There were, there were spiders, and, 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 yeah. And then the men tried to stop me burning the spiders, and, and the thing is, um, I can't imagine what I was thinking. But mm-hmm. I saw them. I mean, really, I thought I saw them climbing over everything. But there aren't any spiders. Mm. Except for that one on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> he jumps and drops his coffee. He's, Ned's not there. Oh, yeah, you're not there. 
It's a voice in his head. <laughs> that is the voice in his head. There were no spiders I anywhere to be found. <laughs> no one saw any spiders. Well, I know that now, but at the time it was... Pretty Just snap out of it. Slap. <laughs> Thank you, General Patton. <laughs> <laughs> Bang! Shut up, bro. I'm shooting you. I like that. Can you make me psychology or psychoanalysis? Check. Jack. Can't. I'm slapping him. You can still do psychology while yeah, slapping. You've got a 5% chance. Have you also, I think she has psychology actually, isn't it? Psychology starts at 5%. Psychoanalysis starts at 1%. Yep, I've passed. Okay. You believe he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Or at least what? he's telling the truth as far as he knows it. He believes what he's saying. Slap. <laughs> Slap. It's a well-known cure for some madness. Why did you decide to burn the tent and not just, like, squish him? There were lots of them. You could have just walked outside the tent and got more people to come and squish him. We saw around the... Are you actually damaged or just damaged? Slap. Just contributing. Walloping it. One of those things in cartoons where they're like, pop! Yeah. Whack! His head cracks back. The doctor kind of steps in. Rather he didn't do that, miss. Right, I used to piss Do you know who I am? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, miss, you're Jenna Tattenbrown from The Globe. That's the first time in, like, what, months in game that she said that? Because I'm sure the crew threatened to throw her overboard if you said it one more time. <laughs> you know who I am? Overboard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just tied her into the, one of the life rafts and drifted her out about 100 yards behind the after, after the boat mechanics, you know, trying to go down the same corridor that she was at. Don't you know who I am? It's funny. I love your character. I love your character. It's great. Um, Jenna also realizes that he doesn't appear to be suffering from any kind of psychosis at the moment. So I only know that because I slapped him. Well, yeah, I think so. Well, also you're like, I know he everything. seems quite aware. Um, you've interviewed people in the past who are supposed to have been suffering from certain mental illnesses and what have you, and he doesn't seem like those people at all. This man is not insane. He had a temporary medical insanity issue, and now he's cured. The end. Well, did he get rid of all the spiders? You reckon that it's possible that he, the, the man did go temporarily snow crazy? Um, due to the psychological stresses of the constant daylight and the sheer vastness of Antarctica. He should have watched Insomnia. He should have watched Insomnia. Uh, he died. Yeah. <laughs> Still not explain spiders. I mean, you know, a whole bunch of snow being thinking of snow in suffocating. What he tells you. Arachnophobic to begin with. Arachnophobic? Yeah. What kind of spiders were they? Where are they going? I have no idea. I'm not that keeper. Good. They could have been uh, dire snow spiders. Wait, that's bad. Dire snow spiders. Well known for being dire and snowy. What are you doing? You were wanting to interview Anthony Priestley. Yes. You catch up with him. So, uh, what are you going to do to those two? What? What are you going to do to those two? Nothing. Not really that fault. Are you not going to put them back on the boat? Well, seem all right now, at least. That's hopefully dog's office. Whoa! You stealing some money? You stealing the No, it's the gunk from my feet. (laughs) 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 She's just trying to sniff it. Does that smell my finger? (laughs) 
Smell, smell my finger. Pop. <laughs> <laughs> just smell it. Just smell. It. <laughs> Get your nose out so of my shoe. So they just—they targeted the fuel and the radio. Seems that way. But he said something about Doc thinks they were crazy. Yeah, but wasn't the radio in a building? Right. You still well. I mean, he, that, he was went, the, that was the fire and the explosion. But who, okay, because we heard. Um, we're trying to figure out what we heard over our radio. We heard they're attacking. They're attacking. Bang! 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 Yeah. The men were attacking. No, the shouting spiders were attacking. Apparently, and then you had two gunshots. I reckon. At least that would be an Well, he's got a shot in his arm, and I got this. Mm. I don't know what was going on. I woke up when something hit me in the head. Found my face covered in blood. Bullet must have grazed me in my sleep. I guess I'm just lucky. Wasn't an inch to the left. Mm. Oh, bollocks. So these guys woke up, went insane, set fire to everything, specifically shot the radio. They went after the fuel and the radio. No, the radio wasn't shot. Oh, okay. People were shot. The radio <laughs> antennas collapsed after the explosion. Oh, so their, their field radio is fine. Mm-hmm. It's just their... Okay. No, the only radio they've got left at the moment is the one on the aircraft. Ah. Within an hour, the damage has been totaled and the magnitude of the loss is fully visible. The Lexington expedition has lost its electrical generators, its batteries, both the main and trail radios, a stove, a large amount of trail supplies and a small amount of fuel. Two men were wounded, neither seriously. A number of tents are ruined and a bit over one-fifth of the food as well as a variety of instruments and most of the spare parts for the autogyro. The expedition's Northrop aircraft, the Bell, is still airworthy, but without power for the camp, life will be much harder harder there. Worse, the destruction of the trail radios and portable generators means that there is no longer possible to stay in contact with the ship once the aircraft flies inward from the coast. Well, uh, with only one long-range aeroplane and no way to communicate or call for help in an emergency, KC Lexington's original mission must be cut brutally short. I wish you good luck on the trip back. Or mm-hmm. we can allow you to join our group. We barely got enough food to feed our people. Whisper that kind of to himself and nobody else. <laughs> and... Starkweather and Acacia are still arguing in the show. Yeah, because it's only been an hour. They're still, they're still arguing. They're yelling at each other still. They're banging. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, help, we'll help the... Uh, it's all the, recording because well, well, the same thing over and over again. <laughs> after a couple of hours, the, the sound of Viper, buffoon, Harridan, incompetent, Jezebel, hold your tongue, woman, or help me, I shall take you over my knee. <laughs> he, just he then storms out or she storms out oh, first conversation between them <laughs> seems to have gone badly so how'd it go Starkweather's <laughs> final comment as he throws open the door to the hut is emotional woman no damn place in the Antarctic he then storms across the camp towards you lot slap <laughs> <laughs> wasn't talking about you is that a biscuit or a it's a greenie. It's for keeping little doggy teeth clean. Okay. It's for cleaning doggy teeth. You see? You're not quite sure about them, are you? She likes them. She does. Once she, she starts eating them. them, they just disappear. But she's like, 
Because she's hiding them. Yeah. <laughs> you hide you're gonna open a, you you're hide gonna open a door and a whole bunch of them are gonna fall out one time. <laughs> you're gonna brush your teeth with them. <laughs> when you were taunting her, it looked like she was about to cry. She does have a toothbrush. Yeah. The one that puts on the end of your finger to clean her teeth. Yeah, she also has a proper tooth. So, um, I guess we'll help them start packing so they can go home. <laughs> <laughs> I'll volunteer to take Miss, uh, you know, Alexia's uh, suitcases back to the plane. We're leaving. It's a stark weather. What are you going to do with her suitcases? We could take some of their elect- broken electronics and use them as parts. Maybe they can Mine. keep them. They don't want our help. We're leaving. What did you ask? I've been talking to one for two hours. Get on the goddamn sled. Are you okay. having? He <laughs> walks away and gets on a sled. There was no talking at all. There was only what? yelling. Yelling leads to more yelling. You need to talk to people in order to talk to conversation. Want the help? We came to help. We're here to offer it. Doctors patched some folks up. You guys have helped out. Let's go. Okay. Let me me. It ain't gonna help. She's an irrational, bloody woman. Is this no offense, Jenna? Look, if I can deal with her, I can deal with this one. You can't. Trust me. Get on the sled or we're leaving you here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you did it wrong. It's, it's, uh, it's Z-formation, exclamation, head rotation. <laughs> you just got dissed. <laughs> hey, you big, I did it. I'm going to scoot over here. So. <laughs> uh, yes, the eight-mile trip back to camp, assuming you're all going, is uneventful. Sykes okay. and Green... Oh, anyone who wants to stay behind can, but stack where they're going back. Okay. Sykes and Green are staying to help rebuild their camp. Okay. Anyone stay? Yeah. Well, how are we going to get back? Just... They'll come and collect you. Or okay. they'll take dogs over. I can stay and help. Okay. Depends. Is she going back or staying here? I'm not helping Katie Lexington. Then I'm going back. Okay. At the camp. She's me right. At your camp, everything is absurdly normal. The dogs are led away and fed. Starkweather disappears into his tent. Moe questions you closely about everything you saw and heard. And nods quietly as you answer. Telling him everything. About the crazy folk going snowmad. Yes, spiders. Spiders. Get some rest. You've earned it. He turns a page on his clipboard, whistles softly to himself, examining the notes there. You help rebuild Alexia yeah. Casey's camp. See if I talk to with her Sykes and Green. Anyone specific you'd like to talk to? Alexia. Acacia. Acacia. Right, She's yeah. busy wandering around, giving orders most of the time. Okay. I follow her around. Are you, are you hanging around yeah. as well? Right. We're trying At to the get camp. Yeah. There are. Yeah. There's a guy called <laughs> There's a guy yeah. called Kyle Williams. Okay. There's a guy called Johnson. I'll pick Sarah Williams, you can have the Johnson. There's a guy called Turvenon. What's a name like Johnson, you know he got some, so yeah. there's a guy called Jenna. There's a guy called Jenna. Jenna, as in Mr. Jenna. Ah. Uh, Jenner, like Bruce Jenner. Um there's Charles Sachs and Tony Hopewell, who you've spoken to already. Yeah. Dr. Anthony, who you've spoken to already. Yeah. There's Wright and Marklin, and there's Chip Hooper. 
Ooh. Gotta talk to Chip. Gonna talk to Chip. Chip Hooper. He's quite young, Mr. Hooper. <laughs> Hi there! I'm Chip. Uh, Off the old block, eh? <laughs> Never heard that one before, sir. You must be Tracy Watkins. Yes. I read your newspaper articles. So! You gotta be an art doesn't you? Who? He's just happy. Chip's very chipper. So, yeah. So what do you, uh... <laughs> so explain what you saw this time. Well, well then. <laughs> I heard gunshots, wild shouting, woke me up. Bradbury, the cook, Dinsdale, the pilot, were running across the compound screaming, they're here, they're here, and burn them out while shooting into the air and setting things on fire. Hooper and some of the others had only just stumbled out of their tents when the generator's fuel tank exploded everywhere. Just exploded. Um, By the time people were picking themselves up off the ground, the power hood and one end of the kitchens were ablaze. Uh, The explosion demolished the generator. Men in the camp quickly subdued Dinsdale and Bradbury and put them under guard in the medical tent. Pointed to the medical tent. Hooper thinks the two men went insane. Victims of snow craze, apparently. It's just, just, well, it's very exciting, really. It's, I'm going to definitely write in my memoirs. I think it's going to be the most popular chapter. Talk, um... <laughs> What's she doing? That was so cute. She giving <laughs> kisses. You getting kisses. You look tired, herbs. Yeah, and her eyes start to fall, and she's like... How make a sudden movement watch. Oh <laughs> <laughs> she likes sitting with her mummy. Yeah. Um I guess I'm trying to see uh was there I'm trying to see if there was any guy that was close to those two. What do you mean close in what way? Like really friendly with them. Friendly Most folk were pretty friendly by the time they got here on the ship. Not like us. Okay. What about well, um hmm. Do you know how close were were you to uh, these two fellows, Chip? Are we talking in a you know lonely at sea kind of way? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, are we? Yeah. <laughs> I never really got that involved with them, to be quite honest. And I'm so glad I didn't want to go mad. Perhaps it's contagious. Doctor says it's not, but I have my theories, you know. Were they? No, mm-hmm. no, I don't think so. Didn't hear anything on the ship anyway. It's thin walls on the Tallahassee. No gay suicide pact. That was that. <laughs> gay suicide pact. 1930s gay suicide pact in the Antarctic. Be something to write Did about. Uh, <laughs> either of them ever talk about their phobias? or No, not at all. But I hear something about spiders, some such. I don't know what the hell that's about. Spiders in the Antarctic, indeed. Was there anything? What was... would your phobia be? I'm not telling you. No. No, I'm, <laughs> I ain't scared of nothing, sir. Nothing. Look, clowns! Okay. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> our friend's phobic of owls. Yeah, our friend Neil is phobic of owls. And anything that could turn its head further round than it should be able to. Which accidentally made him watch Harry Potter once. <laughs> Which is full of owls. Ooh. Wasn't it, um... You can't watch The Exorcist, can you? Because her head turns right round. Mm. That's part That's of that. Okay, um... See... Trying to think of who all would you know have more information. I'm, just, I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to talk to all of them. Yeah, Casey is too busy to speak to you right now. She's trying to get the camp built back up. 
But you can talk to anyone else there. They're willing to talk to you. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, work close to Alexia. To... Acacia. Acacia, Acacia, sorry. <laughs> No, he's no. combining Acacia and Lexington. Yeah, Acacia, Lexington. Into Alexia. Alexia. You know yeah. there's a phobia of long words, and the phobia yeah. itself is a really, really long word? Of course yeah. it is. It's just funny. It's to torture people. It's the same person that put the S in lisp. What's your phobia, dear? Well, being subtle. Or made dyslexia so hard to spell. Do you want to sit there? Like the far side, you know, uh, was it Daniel Webster, Patriot, Scholar, all-time Scrabble champion. All-time Scrabble champion. I'm going to put Triscodiscophobia on a triple word score. That's not a word. Triscodiscophobia. Is now. Look at that book. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. See, it's in the dictionary. You just wrote that there. Yeah, I'm writing a dictionary. Okay. um, Yeah, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see if there's anybody that would talk about the strange happenings that had on the ship other than that one guy, uh, you know, jumping the side. Was there any reports of sabotage? Uh, any really, really strange things going on? Any really, really strange things? Um, you can try. There's a guy hauling debris and equipment into a pile in the yeah. side, the side of the camp. Okay. He's, it's Jenna. Okay. Deep furrows of snow bear mute testament to his industry. Okay. Well. He just seems a bit out of breath. You want to talk? Yeah. Lend a hand. All right. Ah. Uh, so how was your trip over? Ours was kind of oh, sabo. All sorts of stuff. All kinds of mysterious things happening on board ship. Things going missing. Things not being there we thought were there. Some guy fell overboard, apparently went crazy. All sorts of stuff. I don't know. Electrical outages on board ship. Some weird storm. Hmm? Never. I've never seen anything like it. I've not sailed this far south, I have to say. But yeah. uh, like Huge amounts of food mysteriously spoiled overnight. Just hmm. crazy. You'd have to talk to Tallahassee's crew. Those guys are scared of us. I think, think we're bad luck, I think. Well, you did have a woman on board. Our crew kind of felt the same way. Well, they were a suspicious bunch. They were convinced that Miss Lexington had brought the whole expedition. Bad luck. Women shouldn't go exploring, they said. Oh, she's all right. Just a bit, you know... Emotional. Yeah. And she sure doesn't like your boss. With good reason, too, from what I hear. That's okay. We we don't like our boss, either. <laughs> well. We don't like the girl we're with, either. Yeah. You love me. I reckon that uh, all of our mishaps up to date must have been bought and paid for by Starkweather. Hmm. What do you think? I don't know. We had our own. We had. I kind of give him a little, a little thing of our mishaps. We had the food spoilage. Mm. You know, we had one of our guys go nuts. It's interesting. Yeah. Still, I'd keep an eye on him. It's yeah. Clearly, uh, Technically, it's it wasn't food spoilage. It was food poisoning. I'm not going to say poisoning. Yeah. So they don't like Stark. They don't like uh, Acacia. They don't like Stark weather. Y'all, these lot don't seem to like Starkweather and the crew of their Tallahassee thing. In case he's that, that kind of makes sense considering they're with uh, the rival of ours. You figure they'd yeah, but we don't that. like our boss either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they but, think she's bad luck, and yeah. we don't like her. It's the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> they don't like. Neither of us like our bosses, and we're not too fond of their boss either. That's so funny. Let's just frag them both. Let's <laughs> just fry them both. <laughs> Your old bad look. Deck a deck a deck a deck. Boom! <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we can put you in charge. Yay. What? You just go daka 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 boo. Oh dear, my gun just misfired. <laughs> oh dear, it just did it again. <laughs> Good job not firing the gun there. Yeah, there's like peanut butter or something in the boom. Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the trigger stuck. See, you don't have to jiggle it much. <laughs> and it goes right off. <laughs> Look at you, smack it at the end. <laughs> Hope there was nobody in that tent. Except that one. You talk to pretty much everybody. Yeah. They all tell a similar story. Okay. There's um, one guy called Kyle Williams. Yeah. Who is um, putting up a downed tent at the edge of the camp. Okay. He's tells a similar story. Uh, hints that there were problems on the outward voyage and that the expedition is in poor shape as a result. Hmm. So, so I don't get any... Okay, comparing the problems they had to the problems we had. Yeah. You know, see, see if there's a corollary. It's like the, the food mysteriously... It's similar. Spoiling. Yeah, food going off. Any down deaths. Guys going mad. Yeah. Jumping overboard. Please stop pulling your hair out and then putting it on my carpet. Okay. <laughs> I'm just getting all the greys out. Getting all the greys. Okay. Don't put it in the bin. That's so funny. The, um, the Kyle there's Williams... Carl Williams doesn't seem to like Casey very much. Okay. He says he wishes he had so we, we had someone steady at the helm of this ship. It's good that you lot came over. He uh, claims that he didn't actually witness the explosion or the attack on the camp as he was climbing into his awkward snow gear at the time. Hmm. Explains he was about to exit his tent when someone someone crashed into it, collapsing it on top of him, which is why he's putting it back up. He expresses concern for the remaining supplies and equipment. We lost too much food, fuel, spares. Just look. No one was ready for an accident. She just didn't plan. Now what are we going to do? May have to turn back. We can't go on without help. And I'd go far. And I'd go far not to have to turn back now. Do you suppose... What are you doing? Making a noise. Why are you making noise? Dog. <laughs> <laughs> What's the more <laughs> The little banded eyes. You need a drink. Come on, I'll get you a drink. It might be time for poopies. Time for poopies. Oh, my leg! Oh, 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 oh. Ruby gets between us. Cheers right up with Stop. my leg. Damn it. Oh, you did that earlier on. When? When you shoved the door open. Oh. Yeah, he gets close to, you know, get a little snogging. Ruby gets between Not until I get my water. Puppy of peace is very funny. Large puppy of peace. A chair on my foot. 
What? That's up on the chair. I'm so sorry. Feel free to move. <laughs> now you're trapped. <laughs> right. You get the same story from pretty much okay. everybody. There's mad men. It's all very exciting. What are you doing? You've been talking to people too. You learn all of that stuff, essentially. That's what yeah. happens. Make it, make it case here. The, 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 like the whole... Take out the thermos. Martin? That's <laughs> funny. Well, the day yeah. passes, you get covered in soot and crap trying to help them yeah. out. The following day, at the main camp, where you and Ape are, the uh, <laughs> Professor Moore spends most of his time on the radio while Starkweather rages about the camp. The next afternoon, Sykes and Green... Is that you and, and you the dogs? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lindsay's making random whining noises. Are you hungry? You fat animal. What is a pug? Yeah. Yeah, she's not normally puggish. Are you puggish? She's just randomly snorting. Yeah. You were saying yes. You, uh, Tracy, and Charles return to um, camp with Sykes, Green, Priestley, and Acacia Lexington. Okay, I'll try to chatter up on the two-hour back. Quieter conversation takes place. Miss Lexington and Priestley pitch a pair of tents to one side of the camp. Priestley, a friendly soul, is often in evidence, chatting to you lot. Acacia spends her time closeted with Starkweather and more. So she's closeted, so she's really a guy. That explains so much. That's funny. Why they always argue, why she spurns our advances. Are you eating my pencil, you naughty animal? After 48 hours, thanks to Moore's judicious diplomacy, the two teams come to an uneasy alliance. The Lexington and the Starkweather Moore expedition are to join forces. No! Her plane... She she does the Darth Vader no. (laughs) Her her plane will replace the Shackleton, the one lost at sea to sabotage. Okay. Moore offers food and his base radio and power facilities to supplement Lexington's damaged stores and equipment, and she agrees to provide fuel and to help fly Starkweather's men and materials to Lakes Camp and beyond. Once, a, once at Lakes Camp and the high plateau have been made, Lexington is welcome to use them as bases for her photographic and mapping ventures. Is that the first time the planet's been destroyed has been named? Probably in here somewhere, uh, okay. in the back, telling me on the... I've got like 20 pages of what the, what's on the ship. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's right now the to... first time it's been yeah. <laughs> But yeah, up to this point, yes. It wasn't <laughs> obvious up to this point. Yeah. As far as Acacia Lexington, ill bargain is struck to everyone's advantage, but neither leader seems very happy. They um, both seem to... Lexington is clearly loathes working with Starkweather. But the delay to returning north and acquiring new equipment will cost her at least a month, perhaps the entire season. Dissatisfied to be in Starkweather's debt, but nonetheless seeing the necessity. Do you think it's a bad time to mention the wet t-shirt contest tonight to her? Bargain is struck on November the 22nd. The next day, the 23rd, is Thanksgiving. The Americans in the camp... Diana. Oh, yeah. Oh, you want to take over? Uh, no. Oh, hey, I got a text message. Why, Why haven't you called me? Where are you? You done? 
reply. What's my reply? No. Probably, is it stuff in the box? The Americans in the camp gather for an impromptu feast. Everyone is invited, including all the Lexington party. The two visitors return to their own camp with Sykes and a sled filled with electrical gear later that evening. The next three days are busy ones as the two expeditions merge their camps, prepare for the next big step, the trip to the foothills of the Miskatonic Mountains, and wait for the weather to clear. Men, supplies and fuel steam back and forth between the two camps using both sleds and the expedition's tractors and excitement begins to build once more. Oh my god! (laughs) A longer, easier trail between the two camps is soon a well-travelled highway. What? You good? Where are you? Cool. Thanks, sweetie. I'm just warming it. I've just put it back onto warm in the oven. It shouldn't be too cold anyway. Where did we get to? Uh, We were heading back. Oh, yeah. Uh, The next three days are busy ones with the two camps merging. Got that far. Right. Trip to the Miskatonic foothills. Okay. Okay. On November the 27th, the clouds lift and Dr. Albemarle announces the good forecast for the next 24 hours. The scramble is on. Starkweather surprisingly announces at the last minute that he will not be joining Mo and the others on the first flight in search of Lake's camp. Instead, he has DeWitt and Hudson fly him to the top of the Beardmore Glacier in the Enderby, along with Fisarkson, really bad time with his name, Gunnar Sorensen and a team of dogs. He has no interest, he insists, in waiting about while Mo does his detective work, preferring instead to climb the hills and to take photos with the dogs. Take photos with the dogs. You can reach me by radio when you're ready to push on, Starkweather says. I'm sure you'll make your names in science, digging in the ground, but the newspapers want stronger stuff for the front page. Man against the elements. Eh? Man and dog bestiality? Apparently. Sweeping uncharted vistas, the baying of huskies, the ring of sled runners on the ice... That's what catches their fancy. I'll be along, never fear. In a few days I'll catch you, uh, catch up with you and uh, we'll all climb those mountains together, eh? What do you say? Starkweather leaves at 8am on the 27th. The aircraft returns four hours later without incident, having dropped the three men and their gear safely atop the polar plateau. At one o'clock that afternoon, the two Starkweather Moor Boeings with, uh, are fully loaded and ready to fly. First flight to the mountains consists of Professor Moor, you lot, and Michael O'Doul with the first pieces of the Pabodi drill. O'Doul and the drills ride in the Enderby, while Mo takes the Weedle co-pilot seat. Most of you lot must ride with Mo in the Weedle. Later flights will bring the rest of the equipment and the remainder of the scientific team. At 1.15pm on November the 27th, after a final radio consultation with the Casey Lexington, the Enderby and the Weedle rise from the ice after, the mid, uh, after a mid-air rendezvous with, the case, uh, with Lexington's bell, the combined expeditions turn together towards the southwest, toward the Miskatonic Mountains and Lake's mysterious camp. Tired again, It's not good. Have you been ever into the early hours? 
He's sleepwalking. <laughs> hey. I take him to a two-foot uh, hill mm-hmm. and say, man, this is the edge of the mountain. You're going to have to see it yourself <laughs> and push him off. <laughs> For those, like three seconds he's falling, he'll wish he was, ne- he was no, never born. <laughs> and he'll appreciate life a whole lot more, and I'll laugh about it. And he breaks his ankle, and he's stuck on the Antarctic with that broken. <laughs> he's Batman. He'll get over it like a dick. He's Batman. He's not Batman, all right? Let us go. How are we over time, sweet kitten? Two hours and ten minutes. Want to call it there? As you head towards the next camp, or would you like to carry on? Actually, that sounds good. Yeah. Call it. Yeah. Okay. okay. We're ending on page one hundred and twenty-four. Something tells me we're about to have we're about to lose a shitload of sanity. Lake's camp's where all the actual adventure is. Because you can start to see like weird shapes on my pictures and stuff like that. Which is all good. You guys go and investigate. I'll stay back here with my rifle and cover you. <laughs> with my eyes shut. <laughs> it's I can't Cthulhu. spare to lose it. Look at that. I'm already at 36. Are, we done? Yeah. Are you going to leave it on for a second? Let me chat or are you going to turn it off? 